driver present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjectives to be named later. The Home Star Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham and Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Welcome to Podcast 112. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And a uh, round of applause for uh, intern Aaron. I gotta do the slow clap. <laughs> Yay. You're not even gonna wave at the microphone. There it is. There it is. And uh, welcome in, Aaron. Uh, you know, that's become less of a wave and more of a salute, I think. <laughs> Well, I was thinking about giving another gesture, but... <laughs> I wonder what it was. Hopefully it involved clothes staying on. <laughs> good call. Oh, good call. Yeah, at all times you should be fully clothed in uh, in this, uh, my sacred home. Uh, which, by the way, we're back out of the office now, and uh, so this is going to probably be a really crappy podcast. I just felt the, the office really lent itself to an air of Jaquan. <laughs> no? All no, right, maybe no. not. Uh, everybody have a good week? I think, yeah, uh, yeah my, my week was okay. Yeah, decent. It was all right. Yeah. Um, anything we need to talk about yeah. to begin, we, Joey? We have a little uh, <laughs> gift here. Um, this I'm, I I have a card here from my daughter. It says "To Dad from Beth," and it's got a little drawing of herself on there. Uh huh. And I'm concerned about uh, her uh, hands. Uh, they uh, <laughs> was she in some sort of accident? Uh, her fingers seem really spread out. We're, we're, we're gonna get photos of this online. This, this this gets better when you see what's inside. Okay. I came home from work a couple. Well, it was about a week ago, I think now. And I, I was just drained. I was, I had had a rough day at work, and I was kind of in a bad mood. And my daughter came over and was trying to get me to play with her. And I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm just not feeling good. And, and she asked me what was wrong, and I didn't want to go into the whole, you know. <laughs> you didn't want to emotionally dump onto no, your daughter. <laughs> so I just told her, you know, Daddy's emotion chip is just worn down. <laughs> And she said, what's well, an emotion chip? And so then I had to explain about robots and how robots can have an emotion chip. And I said, Daddy's is just not working right today. So so instead of emotionally scarring her, he emotionally scarred her by making her think that he's a robot. <laughs> well, that's an ongoing joke in my house. So uh, my daughter drew this for me. Daddy's emotion chip. <laughs> she drew a computer, what looks like a little computer chip. Wait, says, does it say crap at the bottom? <laughs> <laughs> I said, why does it say crap? My wife said, no, it's supposed to be card. Oh. <laughs> but 
But yeah, my daughter drew me a, a computer chip and labeled it Daddy's Emotion Chip. So it's a replacement for mine that got worn down. Well, come on. That had to have helped. Yeah, That absolutely. had to have boosted. Yes. Yeah, it was actually the next day when I came home that... Uh, oh, I see. That, that I wait, wait, wait. Show me the back picture. Her it's hair nice. is on fire. <laughs> no, it's a crown. But she has oh, a little a Edward Scissorhands going on there. <laughs> it actually kind of looks like uh, a pot plant as well. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Anyway, I thought you guys would get a kick out of it. Well, I, I had my wife take some photos of it. We'll post them online so people can see that. Yeah, I think that that would be uh, cute for people to see. Um, okay, well, that was a good chair, Joey. That was, that was a really good chair. Um, okay, I guess we'll go into Facebook Find of the Week. Yeah. Let's uh, let's have it, Joey. What do you give? I'm going to give it to the announcement that there will be a live Voltron movie. Oh! I am not going to give it to speculation <laughs> on whether or not there will be more Babylon Five. Here's my thing with the Babylon Five. J. Michael Straczynski said. <laughs> By the way, congratulations, Brainy Smurf. He was the one that posted it. I just wanted to congratulate him before he go okay. off on a All diatribe right. here. Wait, so now, do I? Is he the one I need to send the first prize? <laughs> yes. <to>? Okay. <laughs> yes, he is. Here's the thing with with Babylon Five coming back. J. Michael Straczynski, when he when he finished all this up, he said, "I wanted it to be a five year arc and then to get out of it. I did not want this to go on and on and on." And a lot of the television movies and stuff were things that he was pressured to do by the studios. And you can tell by watching them that he did not have his heart in, in the production of them. They're crap. They're terrible. Um, I, I, I think it would be a bad idea, honestly, at this point, to try and bring some aspect of Babylon 5 back. I, I like the idea of, uh, of the Psychor. Exploring the telepath? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be really cool. You, you could you'd have to do a whole new storyline is what it boils down to. You couldn't pick up at any point that touched directly on the events of Babylon Five. Sure, you could. No, I don't think it'd work. I think you get you tell the history of how Psychor came along. You pick some particular guy who's you know got some sort of um, emotional challenge. You know, he's all for Psychor, and then he finds out, oh wait, they're in league. You know, with the uh, evil people. And, you know, he helps to fight through things. And <laughs> I think that there's enough of the Psychor story that's not told beyond the uh, what that's we true. have, which yeah. is Psychor's evil. Yeah. That, you know, and that's really what we're left with. I think there's plenty of stuff that could okay. be mined there. Okay. I don't think they... I think they could even go onto the station. I don't think that they should interact with... You know, that's the what current I was trying universe to say. of people that we're there, dealing there, with there right now. No, there should be no, or only a, a minimal amount of, like, I can see Bester showing up, for example. That would be okay. Bester showing up in an episode here and there. But you couldn't bring in main characters. Like, Bruce Boxleitner really shouldn't ever appear on this show. Uh, Mira Furlong really should not ever appear on any show that comes back. I think it what would, about Shakar? You're... you're <laughs> Gotcha. You have no heart. Man. <laughs> well, it's a joke, everyone, because he's dead. He is dead. Um, if they were to do anything, I'm not sure that they could truly do it aboard the station. Yeah. I don't know anything on that station that would be interesting enough that that would 
capture our attention. You could do like uh, lifestyles of the uh, lurker. Babylon 5, Lifestyles of the Lurkers. Yes, that does sound interesting. Oh, wait, it doesn't. Um, All right, uh, so congratulations in all seriousness that we can muster uh, to Brainy Smurf for uh, winning uh, uh, for the second, for the first time, actually, uh, officially. You know what I was looking forward to when I heard the the news is the, the... Veer and Lanier show. <laughs> they have like a talk show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Um, okay, so let's get, let's talk for a minute. Uh, since we didn't uh, award it to the Babylon Five thing, we awarded it to the Voltron. Voltron. The idea of a live action Voltron. Did you guys ever watch Voltron? Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't really get to watch it that much. I saw it a few times, knew what Voltron was, um, but it really got in the way of, you know, G.I. Joe and DuckTales. And <laughs> You'd rather watch DuckTales than Voltron. How sad are you? <laughs> I, led, I was led a sheltered life, really. Right. Um, and uh, so for me, the whole Voltron thing, I don't know, live action? Really? Is this... I imagine it being basically just like the Michael Bay version of the Transformers. Don't we already have a live-action Voltron with, you know, the Power Rangers? They even share the same colors, don't they? I suppose they do. Don't they? Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, granted, I'm sure they would come up with something better than, you know, a guy in a rubber suit, you know, coming along and fighting in this, you know, clearly made-up set. Of, you know, the real world. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just... I don't get that excited about it. Well, I think the big difference is that with Voltron, it's basically just the precursor to Transformers. I mean, I, I think that... Was it? It was. Or was Transformers so awesome that it went back into the future and created its Wait, own... <laughs> uh, never mind. You have to remember, you don't get time travel. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, I don't. I really don't. Um, So, let me ask you this, because I I read the article, and one of the things they mentioned was, okay, which is better, Voltron or Transformers? So, how would the two of you answer this? Since I know you've watched it more than I have. Uh, As a children's show, like when I was a kid, which one had, I thought... I thought Transformers had better production value, if I can say it that way. The thing is that Transformer or Voltron was an import. It was yeah. dubbed in English, not well in a lot of cases. A lot of the dubbing is kind of cheesy. It, you know, they they didn't do a really great job of translating what may have been huh. really brilliant Japanese dialogue. It wasn't written for us intend initially. I'm saying that when I, I have gone back and watched both of them now that I'm an adult, and I feel like Transformers has held better over the years than Voltron. Okay, Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I enjoyed Transformers more, but I mean, I really liked Optimus. So, well, Aaron was actually a fan of the GoBots. Just to be clear, I don't know if you remember that, but we used to fight over whether we would watch Transformers or GoBots because they were on at the same time. GoBots. Aaron liked the GoBots. <laughs> 
I don't even remember It was a knockoff version of the Transformers. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't remember GoBots? Oh, I, yeah. I don't. They were, they were, it was a really badly done cartoon. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, farm life for me, so I, I was lucky to... They you know, just steal Transformers into its awesomeness. Just, just, just the best <laughs> in the <film> GoBots. <laughs> okay. Um, Alright, so Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. The Culture Corner this week is Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. Uh, this is... It, it's now, very, he's a fairly new science fiction author, right? Uh, he's relatively new. It's a joke. I, oh, okay. I've heard of him. Okay. If um, I've heard of him, he must have been around for a little while. He's been around for a little while, but I mean, he's no Isaac Asimov or Robert A. Heinlein. Okay. Uh, this is an interesting book in the in the way that it's written. It alternates every other chapter between Bletchley Park in World War II and the 1990s in America and a um, an island kingdom. I can't remember the name of the island kingdom off the top of my head. But Japan? No. It's a, it's Australia? a Pacific island that is just a little tiny speck out there somewhere in the Pacific. And what they do is they they build it as a data haven. That, that means that's a place where they don't obey any export laws or any extradition laws of data from any country. So anybody can put their data there and it will be encrypted and kept safe and no government can misappropriate it. Okay, so it's like the Cayman Islands for banking. Data. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is to data encryption what the Cayman Islands are to secure banking. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but the, so they they alternate between these two stories, and the two stories, even though they're separated by you know fifty sixty years, converge towards the same plot point. And ultimately, I'd say the 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 big idea of this book is everybody should understand privacy and encryption. If you use computers. If you have data anywhere out there on public data systems, you should at least have a basic understanding of digital privacy and digital encryption. And even if you don't think you have anything to hide, just be aware of it. And, and he does a, a moderately good job of educating you in the course of entertaining you on how encryption works and, and the, some of the basic aspects of it that you should understand. So, does he teach you to be careful of super cookies? No, because super cookies were not discovered yet at the time that uh, this article was written, or this book was written. Sorry, Joey and I uh, heard a, an article on the news uh, uh, this evening about super cookies. So I... And they're delicious. <laughs> uh, so, uh, would you care to instruct us now on encryption and uh, how it works? I would rather you go read the book because he's much better at it. Oh. But I will give the book a thumb up. Thumb up! All right. Um, okay, so what was the name of that book again? Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, anything else? Yeah. Did he write The Girl's Primer? Yes. Okay. The Diamond Age. Yes. Yes. By the way, um, uh, one of our listeners, uh, listener Fishhead, you should probably stop listening right now. Joey's going to be reading from the uh, Babylon 5 books, and I don't... No, I, he I, might be giving away there, something. There shouldn't be anything in here directly don't, no, related don't to Don't listen! Don't listen, Fishhead! <laughs> All right, I guess maybe you can listen. Nothing, nothing's going to give away from, I like, last so. season? I'll, I'll, I'll try to be careful. 
this is more interpersonal stuff than it is plot stuff. I'm okay. glad you have enough listeners that you can tell them to stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is out of the Jim Eccles Straczynski book. This is the introduction to volume seven. So this isn't about any particular episode. It's a general uh, concept of, okay, here's what was going on on set at this point in time. He says, here's the problem. About three seasons into any television series, after everyone's gotten into the routine of doing that series, an understanding that does little to migrate the stress of coming in every day and shooting 10 to 12 hours at a time, there comes a point when everyone goes, well, a little nuts. This can manifest itself in any number of ways, and in year three of Babylon 5, it mainly took the form of practical jokes. <laughs> Take, for instance, the breast bowl. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna like this one, I think. I was sitting in my office around midday, writing feverishly, when producer John Copeland came into my office with a big three ring binder and asked if I wanted to get in on the breast bowl. The what? The breast bowl, haven't you heard, Joe? Well, I've heard of breasts, and I've heard of bowls. <laughs> But I don't think I've ever heard those two words put together in the same sentence in quite this way before. What the hell are you talking about? He explained that some of the ladies in the wardrobe department had hit upon the idea of taking photos of their breasts to see if men could figure out which set matched which person. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on. I never found out what the prize would be given to whomever got the most right answers because I never asked or wanted to know. Though to this day, I'm as curious as hell to know how this knowledge came to be ascertained. <laughs> Once the wardrobe ladies got the ball, or the breasts, if you will, rolling, several of our female cast members heard about it and decided it was a great idea and wanted in on it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Doesn't this scream lawsuit? <laughs> <laughs> Which is why the binder being held out to me by John was now thick with photos of breasts of all shapes and sizes belonging to female members of the cast and crew. So, you in or not? John asked. I stared at him for a long moment in my best, Are you out of your effing mind, <laughs> Claire? Before simply saying, No. <laughs> you want me to at least leave the binder here for a while? I can come back later. <laughs> oh, Get out of here! <laughs> a few weeks later, long after the breast bowl was over, I stepped into John's office to discover a second binder sitting on his coffee table. No, no, please, please. <laughs> Apparently the female members of the cast and crew had decided... That turnabout was fair play, and demanded re re reciprocity. Thus was the butt bowl launched, <laughs> with a binder full of photo photos of the butts of male cast and crew members. And before you ask, no, I didn't take part in that one either. <laughs> I don't know who won the butt bowl, and I don't know who ultimately ended up with those binders at the end of the show, but I have my suspicions. <laughs> it was around the same time that I noticed a few a few male and female crew members who had been with us for most of the preceding two seasons were no longer present. I didn't think too much about the departures or that I didn't know about them because the showrunners generally only deal with the hiring of department heads. But this one seemed odd, so I asked one of the department heads about the absence. It was then that I discovered that for two years these individuals had been, shall we say, frolicking behind the set on a daily basis during lunch. When this activity was finally uncovered, they were discharged immediately. Daily basis? Yeah. Wow. And multiple men and women. <laughs> um, Was this filmed in the eight, 70s? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes on to describe some of the other 
uh, pranks that happen, but there's one that is going to become important later on, so I'm going to share it. It was Saturday, November 16, 1996, dead center in the third season for both production and writing. The Babylon 5 cast and I had been invited to one of the biggest conventions we had ever yet to attend, the Grand Slam in Pasadena, California. Featuring stars from a variety of different science fiction series, though it was primarily oriented towards Star Trek. So what, the Dens? <laughs> yes, they were all having breakfast together. <laughs> Each half hour, another star went on before the audience in rotation. My turn was set for 3 o'clock, which was when I was to follow Andreas Katsulas out onto the stage for my talk before an audience of well over 4,000 fans. As I waited backstage, too far away to hear anything other than muffled laughter and applause, I paced nervously, having never been in front of a crowd that big before. A B5 music video had been queued up to precede me, which I knew to be a crowd pleaser, so all that remained would be to walk on, switch over to my public persona, and everything would be fine. A page came to get me, escorted me to the back of the platform, and I listened as Andreas introduced me. The music video boomed out across the auditorium. As it crashed to a finale, I stepped up onto the stage, into the lights, smiled and waved into absolute dead silence. <laughs> no applause. No cheers. No sound. No nothing. Just silence. Maybe they don't know who I am, I thought, since I'm not the most exactly the most visually compelling figure on the planet. And I'm not an actor in front of the camera, so I'm not immediately recognizable. So I introduced myself. Nothing. Silence. Even a cheer of crickets would have been welcome at this point, but instead, just a silence as deep and as profound as space itself. At that moment, my public persona ran off stage and left me behind. <laughs> the me, who is still 12 years old, blushes and practically faints at the idea of being in front of people. I told jokes, I told stories, I waved. Not a sound came back. It was as though the auditorium were absolutely empty, just bright spotlights piercing into my eyes out of the general darkness. I, I was instantly drenched in sweat. This went on for ten minutes. That may not seem like a long time to you, but put yourself in that position, at which point ten minutes becomes an eternity, a nightmare from which there is no escape, until suddenly here comes Peter Jurassic to take the stage, put an arm around me, and explain the joke. Andreas, knowing I was a bit on the shy side, I told the crowd to remain absolutely silent upon my arrival until given permission to the contrary. <laughs> now that permission had been given, they roared out their approval, and they were a great crowd from that point onward. Nonetheless, at that moment, I swore that I would take my revenge. <laughs> or to quote an ancient, long-eared philosopher, you realize, of course, that this means war. That's my Daffy. Oh, Okay. Um, so he talks about how, you know, months passed and Peter and, and Andreas kept coming back saying, so we're okay, right? And he said, yeah, oh, hey, nothing <laughs> to worry about. Everything's good. And he says, finally at the Christmas party, Andreas said, have, have you forgiven us yet? Absolutely. I said, smiling broadly, forgiven, forgotten, gone. Ancient history. He nodded somberly for a moment and then said, I'm a dead man, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, I said and clapped him on the back. No, just go out there and have a great holiday. <laughs> it would be well into the next year when I finally paid back the events of November 16th. Because that payoff happened during the fourth season, I'll be telling that story in volume eight. So stick around. That story alone is worth the price of admission. But the moral of the story is this. Never mess with Russians. We invented revenge. So okay. I, when we get around to sharing the other half of that story, I think I think it'll be appreciative. 
Okay, uh, so then let's go ahead and get into episodes. We are going to cover episodes 13 through 16 of Babylon 5 Season 3, and we will start off with episode 13, A Late Delivery from Avalon. King Arthur visits Babylon 5 looking for the Lady of the Lake. <laughs> so we're going to remind the story of, uh, of the Arthurian legend uh, a little bit. Uh, we had the search for the Holy Grail yeah. um, in season one, and now we have Arthur back. <laughs> um, I, I wrote, uh, when I sent out the email this week, I told everybody, look, you can skip this episode. It's not bad. There's nothing bad, really, necessarily yeah, but it's not about critical it. Critical to the plot. Yeah, there's there's nothing related to the plot here. Now, I don't hate it, but this was kind of a waste of my time. Okay. I I don't know. It, it, to me, it's a little bit of setup for what comes between seasons three and four, which is the movie in the beginning. I think I got that right. Um, which actually is where they filmed the events that led to the Earthmingbari War. So we actually get to see that as a movie. Hmm. It's one of the few Babylon, Babylon 5 movies I do enjoy. And it's kind of setting us up, reminding us that there was the Earthmingbari War and introducing us back into it through the character of the guy who actually pulled the trigger. And that's this guy. Michael York. Awesome guy. So was he in that movie as well then? No. Oh. But they're, they're just kind of reintroducing the audience to the principal because they're about to move into the Shadow War so heavily. They wanted to take one episode out and just say, okay, let's remember what came before so that when we do this movie during the off-season that, you know, everyone will remember, oh, that's right, you know, that whole Earthman Barry War thing. <laughs> well, come on. People have been watching this over three years. We're watching them all, like, right in a row here. It's a little easier for us. Um, okay. So, gun ports open. Yes. Honestly, it's got to be one of the dumbest ideas ever. <laughs> I'm going to approach you, and I'm going to, you know, show you respect by aiming all of my weapons no, at you. By showing you all of the weaponry I have. Yeah, that, that, is, that does not in any degree show respect to me. That means, hey, look, I've got a lot of weapons. <laughs> I could shoot you. Honestly, it does not, to me, sound like anything that a culture should do when approaching uh, apparently a new culture that they've never met before. Yeah. It just, it's... It's just lending itself to, like, someone saying, holy crap, we better fire on them first. Sure. I, I just don't... I'm actually, I'm wondering now that you say that, I'm wondering if that's uh, covered at all in the Asked and Answered book here. Unfortunately, I don't have the Minbari one with me, so... I'll have to look it up and see <laughs> well, if There's the Minbari Asked and Answered? Well, I mean, there's five volumes of Asked and Answered, and the, the, this volume doesn't cover any questions about the Minbari culture. <clears throat> I see. Okay. Um... Okay, um, so we come to find out that this guy, Arthur, is actually David McIntyre. Yep. And he was the one that, uh, you know, fired on the, the ship that, you know, eventually killed Ducat, which I have questions about. Okay. So, did they actually destroy that ship completely? No. They just damaged it enough to the point that Ducat... Got injured and died from it. Yep. Died. Yep. 
So this was the ship that the Great Council That's right. is on. Yes. So it was more than just Ducat. It was the rest of the Great Council. And, uh, and uh, am I spoiling anything? We may have to edit this out. Yes, we're going to need to okay. edit that out. Uh, just so you're aware, yes, we edited something out. <laughs> Um, it's just okay we'll do, we'll do it that way <laughs> sure i'm not sure what that means anymore actually he did say baccalaureate a couple of times so um okay so they caused the death of ducat every time that they had talked about you know how ducat died in season one i always came away with this like like it was some sort of siege like someone was trying to get at ducat and then you know all of these Minbari were coming along and saying, so no, I'm going to, you know, stand in the way of these bullets that are coming. You know, that's the way I pictured how this guy died. What we get here kind of explains as though, look, we fired on him and as a consequence of hitting another ship, yeah, people died. Yeah, he and died. just so happened to be the guy. So, what, what is this a big deal about how... There was a wall of dead people, you know, in front of Ducat. I don't understand that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the Soul Hunters. Oh, you're oh, you're talking about when the Soul Hunter came to get Ducat's soul, and the Minbari stood in his way. Okay, yes, sure. But wasn't he already dead at that point, or he was dying? Oh, he was and, dying. And what they did is they they formed a living wall. To keep the soul hunter away from him until he was dead and his his soul had already returned to the ether, or wherever it goes, the non-localized phenomenon that it is. <laughs> okay, good explanation. <laughs> um, okay, so there wasn't necessarily a wall of dead people; it was just a wall of people that kept that's right this soul hunter away from getting to Dukat. Correct, and yeah. that caused him to go crazy, and later on, you know, start going go after Dylan. Yeah. Going after everybody else as well, yep. killing people Pro instead of waiting for them to proactively. Yes. Uh, I just wanted. There was an interesting thing in the script books about this episode, which is that when they decided that they were going to bring Michael York on and he was going to be this guy that was delusional, thought he was King Arthur, they decided we need to have this guy in some kind of period-appropriate costume. So they went through their catalogs and they looked at a couple different ones, you know, just standard co costume catalogs, and they said, "Okay, let's get that one. That one looks great." And it gets there, and it is a fully realized, completely working replica <laughs> chainmail set. That's got to be so heavy. <laughs> Weighed 155 pounds. That's hilarious. And this guy is acting in this all day long. He says, after the first day of shooting, they had to put makeup around his neck because it had bruised his neck. It was so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a practical joke right there. <laughs> and he says, he says, you know, we actually, we told... Michael York, you know what? You don't have to wear the you don't have to wear the armor. And he said, "No, no big deal. I'm a professional. Put the armor on. Went right out and did his job." Well, good for him. That makes the fight scene kind of more a little bit more impressive. Yeah. It does actually because he's moving around pretty good yeah. in that thing. <laughs> he's swinging at guys. And at... <laughs> That's funny. I, I wanted to point out, Pete, that they did stop him as he came on the station with his sword. But mm -hmm. once he was cleared to come through with the sword, it was no longer a problem. So if you get the weapon on the station, we've seen now that it's okay to be carrying it around. The assumption is that it will all be stopped at customs. Well, you shouldn't be trusting Franklin. He's on stims. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so uh, Dylan kind of helps to bring this guy along and bring him out of the thing. She is, you know, the lady of the lake. She is the one who can forgive him. And um, uh, I, I guess the last note that I made here was never mess with the post office. Okay. Yeah, that was a Ugh. not my favorite B plot. C or D plot, maybe. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about this. Is, is there something you wanted to talk about or discuss? Uh, there's just a few things here. Um, a few a things? Few. Yeah, yeah. Multiple? Yeah. So there's this argument between Franklin and Marcus about whether or not they should try to strip this man's delusion away from him. Okay, yeah, all right, I'll grant you and, that. And uh, I want to say, say it was a Pushkin quote, is that right? I'm not familiar with Pushkin. Anyway, there's a quote that Marcus gives, which is, Better the illusions that exalt us than 10,000 truths. How do you feel about that? Um, it depends. Okay. I think it depends very much on, you know, where you're at. I mean, we all walk around with our own illusions. Sure. Whether they're self-inflicted or inflicted upon us from other people, from illusions they're putting out onto us, there's illusions out there. Now, I... Predominantly, I'm a guy who's going to say, look, the truth is the most important thing. But in this case, with this guy, I think he would have been just fine continuing on as Arthur. Yes, there's the, the chance that, you know, 15 years down the line, he's suddenly going to have the breakdown. And he's not going to have someone like Delenn there to help him feel better about you himself. Start killing people with that sword. He could, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't discount that that is a possibility down the road. But everything's a possibility down the road. Uh, you know, anything could happen. Sure. Dr. Franklin could somehow get a really decent personality, and then I might start to like him down the road. <laughs> I, I just don't think in this specific case that it was necessary for them to drag him through that to, quote-unquote, heal him. Yes, it worked out, and yes, it was beneficial for him. I'm not taking any of that away, but I would generally say, look, yeah, you've got to help people understand the truth, but there are going to be times when you have to say, okay, this is one of the statistical outliers. This is one of the times where it is not important that this guy get the truth. So you would have come down more on Marcus's side in this case? In this specific case, yes. Um, I, I enjoyed, actually, when Marcus kind of threw in his face the whole, look, you took an oath, do, do no, no harm. harm. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, that's such a subjective <laughs> statement, <laughs> yeah. really. I mean, in, in whose eyes are you doing harm to? Are you doing harm to someone who, you know, whose leg you're cutting off because they're Sometimes bleeding? Sometimes the surgeon has to cut. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, guess, I guess I do agree with Marcus here. What, what do you think? Uh, I actually, in general, I think that there are instances where I would agree with the quote, better the illusions that exalt us. If, if it makes you better, if it makes you a better person and it helps you, maybe yeah. it's okay. You know what, the, like the, uh, the murderers that we've seen previously who had the personality change... Wasn't that better by changing them? Right. I, you know, some people could argue that that's the case. 
that they were a better person and society was better for having them there right in that role than if we had just killed them for example correct it's kind of like with the uh, the search for the cup you know he's like the, the numbers make sense again everything you know is is makes sense now that I've, I'm searching for this thing that's bigger than me hmm gives him some sort of purpose yeah okay well, I think what we can take away from this here is that uh, Joey is not in favor of the death penalty. <laughs> and uh, that's a good political stance to take. I think you'll win a lot of people with that, Joey. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit just to say, from the best fact-checking that I was able to do, the version of the Arthurian legend that they're going off of here is the, I'm probably going to butcher this, but Geoffrey of Monmouth. Mm-hmm. Um that sounds about right. Okay. So I, I think that that was the version of the Arthurian legend that Straczynski is working off of here. Okay. Based on, on some of the clues that were given. Because there are so many versions of that particular it, story. It's, it's meaningless to me Okay. as far as this is concerned. I mean, it's Arthur. It's all one big thing. Okay. Um, we get to see the sneaky martial art again a little bit. You didn't enjoy that? He seems <laughs> I thought for sure that would get okay. some kind of roll of the eyes. Moving on to comments then. <laughs> Clearly you forfeited your right to talk about things that are worthwhile. I, I had one more for you. Garibaldi with the 101 credits. He's like, you know, I'll overlook the fact that you're living on the station for free and you're running an office here for free if you just give me 101 credits. Would, would you let it go that easily? I think I would have been like, this is going to cost you 5,000 credits. I, I understood it as he was acting on behalf of the um, the station at that point. Because otherwise, he's extorting him. He's becoming, you know, I, just I this mob guy. Was. I think it's clear he was extorting him. <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> that's why it was 101 credits. If it, That's what I'm saying. I would have made it. A, an amount that I could pass up to my superiors to say, oh, here, this guy paid rent and still keep my 100 credits. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Um, well, you don't believe in the death penalty and extortion is A-OK in your book as long as you're going to profit off of it. Yeah, that's a great political platform <laughs> you've got over there. I'm actually saying that he, he did extort and what I would have done is made it I'm acting officially. I would make it profitable for myself. Yes, I hear what you're saying. But I would make it profitable for myself. Yeah. (laughs) And the last thing is, uh, there's one question that is unanswered as we fade to black in the episode. So the question is, who is Morgana Le Fay? Um, What bell was that for? That was foreshadowing. Oh, it's not the It Gets Better bell? No. All right. Who's Morgana? Morgana Le Fay? She was um, Arthur's sister, right? She was his half-sister in different legends. Basically, she is the mother of what ends up destroying Arthur. Which was... Yeah, okay. Comments? Listener comments. Is that really going to come back and, like, foreshadowing for something? Yes. Wasn't just some throwaway comment? No. So we're going to have to have another Arthur episode down the road? All right. Uh, Moneybags. He says, hey guys, I'm going to reiterate what I said on Facebook this week. You guys need to do Lost after you finish <laughs> Babylon 5. 
Uh, in the past, you've said that there are already plenty of other podcasts out there giving opinions on Lost. Who cares? I want to hear your opinions on Lost. <laughs> anyway, you can, of course, do whatever you want. That's just my two cents. Okay. Do we want to talk about this at all? I, I'm, I'm willing to entertain or uh, discuss with you the idea of doing Lost, but I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know either. I would like to hear it. (laughs) Aaron wants to hear it. Uh, Maybe it's been long enough. Maybe. I was just so kind of pissed off at the way that they ended the series. That's that's the way I... That's where I sit, too, is... Man, I I don't know if I want to go through all that again for such a lack of payoff. I loved season one. Loved season two. I don't know what happened after. (laughs) See, I think that's one of the ways it would be good, is... you it is finally the us like get, get consistently better. turning in poor. Yeah, we'd have to. It doesn't get any better than this, though. <laughs> this is this is the high moment, though. <laughs> yeah, this question you're wondering about never gets answered. <laughs> the anti foreshadowing. Oh, jeez. The red um, herring bell. <laughs> uh, like you know, You've done stuff and you said, oh, it gets better as the show goes along. The show gets kind of worse as the show goes along. <laughs> you know what, uh, uh, Moneybags and the rest of you who are, who are curious out there, we have thought, you know, what are we going to do after Babylon 5? I mean, for the longest time, I think I kind of put it off as like, yeah, we're never going to get that far. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be, we'll get turned off before this happens. <laughs> Um, never expecting it to go past, uh, you know, Star Trek, Star Trek. Um, I, I, we don't know, but we have a couple of ideas for maybe coming up with ideas. You know, we're both going to be brainstorming, coming up with our own stuff. I think we actually know what our first thing is after Babylon 5, right? After Babylon 5? So the next thing we do? Yeah. yeah. Was, what? You had said that you wanted to do Silent Green. Oh, 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 as, yes, as a movie yeah. kind of thing. Okay, I, I thought that we were pl- going to do a few of those different yeah. types of things. I'm talking about, like, as, like, the next TV show that we decide gotcha. to tackle. okay, yeah. I still say Gilmore Girls. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, good show. Just, just for the record, just so our listeners know, Pete is a fan of Gilmore Girls. I, I'm not saying that Gilmore <laughs> Girls is bad. Though I couldn't finish season six, <laughs> that was just too difficult. Um, I, I'm not saying I hate Gilmore Girls. I'm just saying I don't think that makes for a good no, podcast. I agree with you there. I agree. Um, we, I, what Joey and I, or what I had been thinking is, look, I'll, we'll come up with some ideas. Maybe we'll open it up to you guys. Maybe it'll allow you to submit a couple of. Well, I think of we thoughts. have a submission yeah, already. <laughs> yes, we have one. But maybe we open it up as a vote. And everybody gets to have their vote, and whichever one wins, that's the one that we decide to do. Okay. And then whatever comes after that, or whatever we would do next, the one after that would definitely be the Firefly uh, series. So that's that's a given. We're, we're going to do that one. So uh, I'd like to go with something non-sci-fi. Mash. Yeah, I, that's not a bad suggestion, maybe. Uh, How many seasons did that go? Ten, I think. I thought eleven. A long time. Yeah. Um, anyway, let, let's move on from there. The we'll Simpsons? consider it. What are we up to? Twenty six now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should be easy. 
easy. We could probably do like a season of that in a podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, getting back to uh, money bags. Yeah. Uh, onto the episodes, a late delivery from Avalon. You know, I was just thinking that seasons three, season three's pace was a little breakneck, and we need another story about a whack job who's obsessed with Arthurian legends. Oh wait, I wasn't thinking that at all. <laughs> Pass. Okay, not even a rating. <laughs> no, not a rating. Um, okay, Brainy Smurf. This episode brings up the highly debatable question of whether or not this crazy dude should have been allowed to maintain his insane delusion. I think the libertarian I take the libertarian approach here. Leave him be. He is not hurting anyone, and is deluded. And his deluded world is his choice. He hit some people with a sword. Yeah. <laughs> that felt good. Yeah, but they were evil doers. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> uh, he is not guilty of anything except in his own mind. Oh, damn you, Dr. Feelgood. Why can't Jakar just have a drinking buddy? <laughs> he needs one. Talon just drinks OJ. And conspirator Jakar is currently attacheless. The doctor is such a greatness crusher. My problem with this episode, unless I missed something, um, Ducat's ship, carrying the Grey Council, would have completely obliterated the Prometheus after being fired upon. So we would never have to deal with this guy. Delenn had not yet attained enough baccalaureates to realize not to kill the humans. I suppose we can talk of this next season. Jakar being drunk rating 10. <laughs> okay. So, any answer to this? You know, why didn't the Prometheus just blow him out of the water? Watch in the beginning. All right. I guess. Why didn't they blow the Prometheus out of the water? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The the ships are just uh, nothing from SpongeBob. Yeah, After I know. All of that. I know. <laughs> I was surprised by that too. SpongeBob, we don't have anything from you. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. And I appreciate you, you know, backing me up on the whole podcast thing here, but uh, it would have been helpful if you could have sent something in. I might have retained full control of the podcast. Oh, well. I guess we're stuck with Joey. Okay. Science fiction rating, Pete. Science fiction, uh, I didn't hate this. It's not great, not bad. Five. Uh, I'm going to give it a six. I, mixing King Arthur with space, I, I always enjoy it. I think it's fun. I give it a five. Okay, Pete, TV? Four. Four as well. I would have given it more, but the black and white scenes in the endless hallway yeah, they are terrible. The dream sequences. I don't understand why it is that Straczynski seems to love these dream sequences so much. Well, I I think this is the worst ones that we've seen so far. Even. Really? Yeah. Even the hand coming out of the coming sun. Coming out of the sun. I think this is worse. Uh, yeah. When Delenn with the outstretched hand glides towards him as he's laying on the yeah. ground, that was it was bad. By the way, I, I mentioned to my wife when we were watching this, just as an aside, you know, somewhere in Hollywood, there is an endless hall with just doors in it that they use in all sorts of movies and TV shows. I'd like to visit that place sometime. <laughs> it was also in Scooby Doo. Yeah, it's by been the in. Way. It's been in. Uh, Plenty of mystery shows. You know, we, we've seen this thing before. I think it was in... Wasn't it in... Uh, what's the Stephen King one with Jack? Oh. Um, 
the glimmering. The shining. Shining. All right. Uh, television, Aaron. This is one of my favorite episodes. Really? Yes, I. I I'm love, sorry, I've insulted you so I, much. I, well, no, I, I can understand why other people don't like it, but I like the idea of you know, of of Arthur the, the whole. Um, Cup of Christ thing. I always think of not as an Arthur Grail? legend. Yes, the Holy Grail. Thank you. I couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't. It's a cup of Christ. Uh, I've always thought of it as a a Christian thing rather than a. I mean, I know it's it's involved in Arthur's legend, but this is this is Arthur. This is a guy saying, "I am King Arthur returned," mm-hmm. and you know he's returning at a time when evil is taking over. And and um. If you've read books like The Once and Future King, that's that's when he's supposed to come back and and restart the uh, round table. So, yeah, this has always been one of my favorite. I will sit and watch this just without watching any of the others. I give this a nine. Wow. Even with the, the bad dream stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Even with Dr. Franklin? Oh, cut. Would you cut some slack? Even, all right, it's... the post office... The post office scenes? I don't remember any of the post you office scenes. Post. <laughs> I think Jakar, at least the, the Jakar now, would make a great addition to the round table. <laughs> I agree. Sir Jakar would yes. be great. I think he fits in there perfectly. He is looking for like, some like, sort of thing to go off and They, they could have just made this Marcus. Because he's like the British guy. <laughs> but no, it's Jakar. And yeah, give him a name. All right. And I think that later on you should see the sword hanging into Lynn's room. Oh, okay. That would be fun. Because he gave her the sword. I would keep that. <laughs> uh, P5 rating? 7.79. Moving on to our next episode, Ship of Tears. Bester visits Babylon 5 looking for help. Uh, okay, good episode. Yeah. I like this. Walter Koenig, you know, always, always classic. Good stuff. Fan favorite. Oh, how many episodes does he do, does he do a season? Just like one? One, yeah, pretty much. So this guy really gets away with just doing five appearances, <laughs> five episodes, and because we all famous yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. So bizarre. Um, okay, ISN is back online. Yes, everybody's excited about this, and unfortunately, it's under new management, <laughs> so to speak. Um, it's under the control of Pres- President Clark, and they, you know, read off this line of baloney about how, oh, we were actually uh, taken over by the hostiles, and it wasn't the government. The hostiles? I don't remember what she you, said. You're crossing over into lost territory again. No, we've already started our <laughs> lost podcast. <laughs> we'll discuss the Hurley Bird now. Um, anyway, unfortunate that uh, things are not going well back yeah. home. The government still, or is clearly still in charge of what's going on. Um, Bester makes an appearance, as we just mentioned, and um, he is out in a ship that's just sitting there. He, He went out there and turned his engines off and sent out a distress signal. To get their attention. Right. To come on out there. Um, now... It seemed like a cool ship. The Black looked, Omega ship? Yeah. Looked really awesome. 
But doesn't that strike you as like the worst way to to make your ship look if you don't want to be recognized as Psychor? No, they this is the this is their their elite tactical squadron. It's just like with the SWAT team. The SWAT team dresses in an intimidating manner. You want your Black Omega ships to look intimidating. See, I kind of thought of it as mm, Secret Service type thing. No. You don't want to be recognized. <laughs> you don't want to be noticed. You don't want to stick out because if someone sees, you know, a Psycor ship, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to take this thing out. I hate the Psycor. <laughs> You know, just putting a big bullseye sign on on your ship. Which, by the way, do you think there's some joker out there who would actually paint a big bullseye sign on his ship? (laughs) How funny would that be? That would be pretty funny. Anyway. I want to read you a little thing here. Though we've seen them before at a distance, this episode is the first chance we had to properly introduce viewers to the new model of Star Fury, known as a Thunderbolt. Which makes this episode a good makes this a good episode in which to discuss the Star Furies in a bit of detail. As noted previously in this series, we, we when we sat down to design the original Star Fury, the intent was to come up with something scientifically suited to a zero gravity and zero atmosphere environment. Our concern at the time was that most science fiction shows tended to use atmospheric models that made no sense in, in such environments as space. They swooshed around and banked in ways that were only possible in an atmosphere. Having thrusters fore, aft, and on each side would allow the widest range of movement and be more scientifically accurate. Putting the pilot in the center of the configuration would logically minimize physical stress during high-velocity maneuvers. Unfortunately, the, the design was so specific to a space environment that we didn't have a fighter that would operate in an atmosphere, <laughs> even to a limited extent. And so we needed, and we needed one for the story to go where it needed to go. Hence, the Thunderbolt design, which Sheridan is being briefed on along with the audience, so that both parties knew the capabilities of the fighter. One of the ways in which we tried to integrate the live action with the effects was to have readouts from displays reflected in the face plates of the pilot, which in the teaser for this episode can be seen on Sheridan's face far more clearly than you should have been able to see them. This technique was first introduced here by Mike Vihar, who directed this episode using an LCD projector to integrate the readouts in real time in the camera rather than after the fact in post. I've always been of two minds about this technique. On the one hand, it can be very effective. But when it gets, well, let's call it as in your face, as it did in this episode, it becomes distracting. We'd been using the primary Star Fury design for about a year when I received a phone call from a project manager at NASA. They'd been watching the series and they liked what they saw in our Star Fury. We've been working for a while now on a design for a forklift in space something to work in coordination with the space shuttle and space station programs, and thought this might fit the bill. Do you mind if we borrow the design and put it in the mix with the others we've developed in-house? Not at all, I said, and when asked what I would require for its use, instead of a fee, all I asked for was that that if they one day ended up using the design that NASA called them Star Furies. I rather like the idea of looking up the night sky someday and knowing there are Star Furies up there somewhere. Hmm. Um, okay, I didn't even notice the display. Oh, really? That he goes on so much about. No, it's pretty annoying. I I didn't notice anything about it. You can barely make out that it's him over the... Reflection. Yeah. 
Okay. It, it, it didn't do anything to distract me from I'm glad it was. Awesome. The thing that I did have a problem with was the thing looked, for the most part, like the old Star Furies. And when they talked about, oh yeah, this is set up for, you know, atmosphere flying as well. And then they deployed these little flat things. The ailerons, yeah. I thought, okay, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> I didn't buy that. Okay. It, that just didn't sell me on, you know I mean? They, they talk about, oh yeah, this is set up for atmosphere stuff. If they'd have just left it at that, great, I'm fine, whatever. I, I'm, I'm no uh, aeronautical engineer. I have no idea what a plane really needs to fly beyond thrust and wings. The little flap thingies, I just rolled my eyes at. Okay. So, uh, fail. Okay. So, we're introduced to Bester now. And is he there to help? And should we trust him? Is really the questions that we're all coming down to. Yeah. And before, they were like, oh, crap. We, we can't let Bester know what's going on. But at this point, it doesn't really matter. Not like Franklin says, we've pretty much done everything we were planning on doing. So The only thing that I could think of was, well, they probably don't want to let Bester know about the shadow. If Bester reason, then he can find out about the shadow. And, you know, they don't necessarily know that sh the Psychor is engaged with the shadow. They do. Do they? Yeah. Well, okay, not Psychor, but they do know that President Clark is. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, but Bester reveals, I know what the shadows are. I know that they ha they are controlling President Clark. They have control of the government. Right. We're on the same side here. And the the thing is, Bester doesn't like the shadow, but as near as I can tell, he doesn't like the shadow because he is the one who actually wants to have the power. Yeah. He's pissed off that they managed to worm themselves in there before he could. <laughs> At least as far I, I, as I, I can think, tell. I think you're accurate there. So we shouldn't walk away from this episode at all thinking that, oh, Bester's a good guy now. He's finally on our side. <laughs> no. He is he is an evil person and is still not to be trusted. Yeah. You can use his help if you want, but he's just like Stalin. Watch your back. You have no idea what's going to happen with this guy once, you know, you're no longer useful. Um, okay, this is the episode where um, they bring Jakar in. Jakar and they tell him, okay, here's why <laughs> you need to understand somebody had to be sacrificed at yep. the time and we were willing to let it be the Narn. Sorry. Yeah. If we had done otherwise, then there would be no Narn and we would be in a far, far worse position. Some are to be sacrificed if all are to be saved. And I like Jakar's line where he says, I see now that that's as much about what, how we got here as it is about what's coming. And goes on to say that one sentence has been like the greatest burden I've ever had to carry. Yeah. What one sentence? If if uh, oh, the one some must be quoted. sacrificed if all are to be saved. The thing is, is he used that earlier on when he was talking to right. He says, "I thought that this was going to be when I heard it when Kosh told me that I thought that that was something about the future, and I used it." 
to say, hey, I'm telling you people, some of us will be sacrificed. But I didn't realize that it meant as well. It was going retroactively. In, right. Yeah. It's like he says, it was much about how we got here. You guys sacrificed us to save everybody. Right. So he's officially in now. He's one of the gang, and he's cool. Yeah. Um, now, they let Bester onto the White Star. Good decision or bad decision? I think it was a bad decision. I can't understand why you would let him anywhere near like the, yeah. the coolest technology you have. I, I don't understand. Uh, that's okay. When I was writing the notes, not knowing whether or not I was going to be up here, I wrote, if Sheridan had let Ivanova kill Besser, this episode could have been so much better. <laughs> it could have been about Dakar, you know, and about his reaction and finding out and stuff. Heck, even an episode where Garibaldi reads the Book of Jaquan out loud would have been better than Bester. <laughs> oh, man, I don't like Bester, but I think he makes for good television. Um, okay, uh, I I think, uh, you know, it ends up being a good thing that they team up with Bester because they manage to capture and um, destroy a bunch of shadow vessels that are carrying... A ship full of Psycor personnel. Yeah. And we come to find out that these things, these people, are to become the weapon system for shadow vessels. So essentially, they're primed and ready to go to actually be put into the shadow vessels. Right. Um, and so it kind of, you know, makes you realize the shadow... They've got some sort of connection with their ships of a you know a deeper level than just someone who's you know you know quote unquote mentally prepared, which was all we were told before. Um, There's actually surgical implants going on here. Yes, like a very interesting line from Doctor Franklin when he says someone has definitely messed with her wetware. I thought that was it's just that's such a callous and. Uh, I don't know, dismissive term to use for human beings' brains. It just seemed out of place for a doctor to be saying, oh yeah, her wetware has been messed with. Well, they're... Well, from, I, I, I think the whole thing's built around that we're supposed to suddenly identify with Bester because he's, he has this tragic backstory now where <laughs> the only thing he loves has been stolen by oh, the shadows. Geez, yeah. he is, it is supposed to humanize him a little bit. Yeah, it, the, it, it's incredibly convenient how Kara, this girl Kara, is the one who is oh, by the awakened. Way, uh, while they're on the the White Star, Bester sits in the captain's chair. <laughs> yeah. There's a little note here from J. Michael Susinski. He says, Having grown up a fan of the original Star Trek, I realized one day that I couldn't recall a single time when Chekhov ever got to sit in the captain's chair. And that Walter probably missed the opportunity to do so. So when I put him on the White Star, I felt it was my obligation to let him sit in the captain's chair, even if just for a moment. His delight in that scene is, I think, quite sincere. <laughs> Since between takes, we had to practically dynamite him out of the seat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not fair. <laughs> let him sit there. All right. Um, Why are you intentionally saying your line's wrong? I don't know. Put him in the chair. No. Um, anyway, that girl, Kara, interfaces with the system... How she does that? Why she does that? We don't get an explanation. Just all of a sudden, the next scene is 
She's hooked up to all of these crazy wires that seem to have come out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, that didn't work for me. Um, but apparently Bester seems to have a heart, and he signs up to help out. Um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. So, Pete, we should be better friends. Ah. I'm sure there's a common enemy somewhere. Somewhere. If only I could point to someone. <laughs> if only they could see who we were pointing to <laughs> and looking at. Oh, well, they'll never know. Um, okay, so that part of it ends. And Garibaldi, of all people, manages to piece something together. And he comes in. And uh, he's showing. He brings everyone into the war room, yep. and uh, you know he's like, "Hey guys, I figured something out." And he, you know, hits his hand on the the, the, book, of the book of Jaquan. <laughs> I love Jacquard's quote where he says, "Do not thump the book of Jaquan." Um, and then he says, "The shadows are afraid of telepaths. They fear them." Yeah. Look, here's what Jaquan wrote, uh, you know, a thousand years ago. And, you know, they are, they killed all of the ones on Narn because they were afraid of them. And so the, the telepaths are the one things that, you know, they want to control. And, um, you know, so they, they are, um, you know, that's the, the one group of people that they really should be allying themselves with, but they can't actually trust. Yep. Uh, irony, irony. Um, and There's something about the Book of Jaquan that I wanted to share with you. Okay. You have to come over here and look at my screen, though. All right. Coming over. I don't, All right. You, I don't know if you noticed this in watching the episode. The Book of Jaquan is made of newspaper, and you can clearly see an ad. Oh, what's the ad for? I, I couldn't quite make out what the ad was for. I, I zoomed into it here, but it looks like... Right, I'm not sure you can say you can clearly make you can, out you an can, ad. You can tell that it is an ad. You can't necessarily tell what it's advertising for. I don't know about that. That's pretty, pretty shaky <laughs> All right. there. Uh, maybe Ask and Answered can uh, give us some definitive uh, statements on it. Okay, uh, I'm moving on to comments unless you... Oh, I got one other thing. There's a really cool audio piece in here. When she wakes up and she starts screaming, and then we go into her head and we see the shadow ship and we hear the shadow ship scream, and then we come out of her head and we hear the alarm scream. And the way that sound crossfades all the way through that scene, I think it's really cool. I really enjoyed that. Oh, okay. That's nice. Nice little call out. Okay, uh, money bags. He says, good action episode. Vester is humanized just enough, <laughs> but not too much. And we find out that the shadows use humans as CPUs, much like the great machine on Epsilon 3. <laughs> also a good scene with Delenn and Jakar. TV7, Sci-Fi 8. Um, Brainy Smart. He says, kill him. Kill Vester. Now. Do it! <laughs> Come on, Box. Oh, bummer. Well, we do get to appreciate how good Bester is at being a bad guy. And director Mike Vihar really loves those mo motorcycle sidecar pods on the White Star. And Shakar's circle talk is interesting, as many feel this way about the political spectrum. How extremely left does one have to go before he or she overlaps with Joey? 
<laughs> Pretty far. <laughs> it's a balance between what is best for the self and what is best for the state. The more extreme you get, you're either a fascist or a communist. In both cases, one surrenders themselves to the state. Borg-style interludes. Um, how stupid is Londo? Wait, am I uh, going on too far? Too okay. Too far. Well, he like, okay. breaks it right there. Um, okay, that's it. He doesn't give a rating for this. Okay. Feel like he should have given a rating for this. Well, I'm going to give a rating for this. Oh. Uh, for science fiction, I'm going to give this a 9. I'm going to kill the spider first. You missed it twice. Give me nope, it's good. Nice. It's not going anywhere. Sorry, let us continue. <laughs> for science fiction, I'm going to give this a 9. I think you have human CPUs, you have telepaths, and you have the Book of Jaquan. All these things I think tied together to make a, a really good science fiction episode. <laughs> the Book of Jaquan. I think that gets like uh, helps in the religion rating with the Book of Jaquan. The, the development of the alien culture to the point that we have a religion and we see how their religion tied into the Great War and things like that, I think is science fiction-y. Aaron? I agree. Nine. Uh, I don't agree with you guys so much. Uh, I like the episode. I think that there are some good elements the the whole um, fact that the uh, not psychor people but the uh, the telepaths being you know the thing that can really turn the tide for the humans is a nice touch and I'm glad to see that brought in I'm only going to give this an eight okay for television Joey uh, for television I'm going to give it a six I, it would it would be a five without Bester okay Aaron I'm going to give it a six because of Bester. It would be better without him, but huh? Like if you could somehow have this, have them figure this out without Bester, I think that would have been a lot better. Yeah, but Bester's such a good bad guy. I think he's fun. Yes, which is why you should have killed him when you had the chance. <laughs> you don't him. let bad guys just float around. You can kill him in season. <laughs> uh, 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 a little foreshadowing there. No, not really. <laughs> uh, I give this a six as well. Uh, yeah, I, I agreed with you guys. P5 rating for you, Joey? 8.70. Moving on to the next episode, Interludes and Examinations. The Shadows visit Babylon 5 looking for Kosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Seriously? That's the summary? I feel like you're just not trying anymore. Not the important bits of the show episode. <laughs> Can't we just uh, go back to, like, Memory Alpha's uh, summaries? Memory Alpha? They I don't think they have good. Babylon 5 summaries. Well, well, all right. That's true. Um, I love this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes. It's a good one. It's a really enjoyable one. Um, a couple of parts in it I don't care for, and I thought they screwed up a little bit. Okay. Everything uh, with Franklin? <laughs> well, yes, in general. <laughs> okay, so my first note here is... Franklin is falling apart, and I'm the only person who cares. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Garibaldi is also concerned. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> you're not alone there, but you're with Jerry Doyle, so enjoy well, that. Garibaldi's pretty conservative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's cover that really quick. Um, Garibaldi is concerned over Franklin's career. Yeah. What career? They left Earth Alliance. There isn't any career out there. It's not as though, they, you know, he's going to be concerned about, 
oh, is there a better doctor aboard the station here? <laughs> He's it! That's well, all they've got. I, I think there's something to be said for the idea of if you make a medical mistake, you're not ever going to get a job as a doctor anywhere. If it's a big enough mistake, you know, if it's on a certain category, there's, there's a certain level of mistakes. Okay, I, I get the whole, this is going to be on your permanent record. Again, they're on Babylon 5. Yeah, but He's not the, going anywhere else. He's not going to be on Babylon 5 for the rest of his life. If, if they eventually make an amicable, like, if they rejoin uh, Earth Alliance in a way where, you know, nobody loses their jobs, then he's going to still have all that like tenure as a as a good head doctor. I, I think it goes beyond that even to say this is this is about ever being a doctor anywhere else. You go to some alien species and want to be a doctor there. This kind of stuff will show up on your record and people won't hire you. I don't think this shows up on his record if he decides to go to some alien world. I think they would say, oh my gosh, you are a great uh, xeno-doctorist. Xenobiologist. Xenobiologist. Is that what they really yes. are, biologists? Because really? I, can, I can already see him going, whoa, so we noticed you don't respect when religion comes into... <laughs> He's certainly not going to get hired by the ones that worship yeah. the egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they... Uh, what are they going to be... There is no interstellar internet here. Yeah, there is. Then why did it take him so long to find out David, uh, the McIntyre guy? Well, because he's bad at computer research. Oh, jeez. No, I, it doesn't work for me, and it, it's, you know, a Franklin flub-up. And uh, okay. I guess if you're going to do it to somebody, might as well be Franklin. <laughs> oh, In my book, anyway. Right. Um, okay, so Morden yeah. comes back. Londo hears the shadow. I don't know if you guys caught that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he reacts to the... <laughs> <laughs> that was my impersonation of the shadow. Great, thank you. <laughs> Next time we need that, I'll cue you for, for that. Um, How long do you think it takes to learn that language? <laughs> I think it's interesting that, you know, he sneaks on board. You know, he's, he's brazen enough to still come on board. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they can't use, you know, facial recognition on the cameras that are apparently throughout the the entire station, but whatever. I, uh, or, you know, this is the 90s. We don't necessarily have that technology <laughs> yeah, exactly. yet. We haven't figured it out. That's cool. Um, and also, um, Adira is coming back. Yeah. Told you she comes back and that she's important later. In the aspect I that think her, you lied. Her she death is very important. She doesn't come back sure specifically. Does. Her body returns. I didn't see Adira under there. <laughs> I didn't say the actress returns. I said the character returns. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, anyway, basically, Morden figures out. Hey, he, Adira is coming back, and this is a big deal to Londo. I know. I'll screw around with this. I'll have her killed. Well, I, how he manages to get her killed, because how can he contact somebody who's aboard the ship that she's coming into? Like, it means they had to have some sort of, um, um, sorry, assassin aboard that ship to begin with. Well, they had some kind of guy that was aboard that ship that they could pay to become an assassin. 
So how did they know he was there? And that they could use him. He pulled up his list of, you know, he went to his interstellar internet. Oh my gosh. And looked to see who was, you know, booked on the, uh, that flight and said, do I have anything on any of these guys? Yeah, this guy right here. Yeah, that's another flub up as far as I'm concerned. It seems way too convenient okay. that she... He works for the Shadow. I'm sure they could kill somebody if they really wanted to. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, they can with enough, you know, forethought. But this is a surgical strike that they had to get somebody in there sure. to be able to do. In my okay. mind, it just doesn't pan out. Better that they blow up the entire ship. I'm okay with that. Okay. You know, then, you know, it, it it's fine for me there. But then it's not as personal. T- true. I, I get what they're trying to go for, which is they're trying to break down Londo. Right. And, and get and him back into a the position. Here's, here's the thing. Never, under any circumstances, just in case nobody has told you guys this and it didn't occur to you via common sense, never tell the physical manifestation of evil, there's nothing you can do to me that hasn't already been done. How dumb do you have to be to tempt Mr. Morden? Yeah. From uh, the King Arthur one earlier, I think we get the idea that these ships are making stops. It's, it's not just from here to here because yeah. at one point it goes in and they say everybody maybe you know if he found out she's coming he could find one of these stops and have somebody sent to the stop uh it's you're never going to convince me on this so it best to move on um okay we finally get to the end um londo decides to sign up with morden again yep. incredibly sad but he does, and Franklin quits, and then that's the rest of this episode. That's what? all that there is. Are you kidding me? That's all. That that's how the episode ends. That's there's you... nothing else to talk about. <laughs> uh, I... uh, it happens so many times. How in the world can you not see this coming? I guess just keep that side beat. I believe you really are that dumb. <laughs> that you missed the storyline. Like, how could you watch this and not see that? <laughs> My DVD was just skipping ahead, so I just missed it. I assumed it wasn't important. You should have seen the look on his face, by the way, guys. It was just sort of like this crushed look of a little kid who's like... What? I can't play with my toy anymore? <laughs> You're taking you it away? Past this stuff. <laughs> Go on, Joe. You tell. You take this story. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start, actually, with the Jan Michael Strasinski. Oh, good. Good. That's a good place to go. He's punishing you for skipping over it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get more of the books. I haven't always addressed Bruce Boxleitner's performances as often as I likely should have. Because it's always steady and reliable, and all too often the fireworks had gone to Londo or Jakar. But his performance during Sheridan's confrontation with Kosh merits special attention. Because the scene requires that he play one of the most dramatic moments of the series opposite a walking refrigerator. (laughs) While at the same time having to react to hits and do his own bits of stunt work without having it end up looking like Bella Lugosi pulling a fake (laughs) octopus around him in an Ed Wood movie. He and Jeffrey Willard, the guy inside the suit, rehearsed this scene more than probably any other scene they shared together. 
Bruce was on fire the whole time we shot this part, his adrenaline up to maximum, refusing to budge an inch. From what he said both privately and publicly, I think it may actually be his favorite scene from the whole show. One little thing not a lot of people have noticed. When Kosh starts to get fired up during this confrontation, the tech who notices the energy surge describes it as... Anybody catch the phrase? A non-localized phenomenon. This was the exact term used by Lanier to describe the nature of the soul during passing through Gethsemane. If you go back to that earlier scene and read the rest of his and Delenn's description of a soul and apply it to the Vorlons as an entire species, a number of interesting possibilities may occur to you. Such as? Such as that... They're just souls. The Vorlons are... There aren't individual Vorlons so much as there is the essence of Vorlon. There is Vorlon. There is Vorlon. And they have always been here. And different aspects of it may present itself at times. Well, that can't be the case. But it's a non-localized phenomenon. The physical manifestation that's here on Babylon 5, Kosh himself, is not an entity separate and alone to himself. Part of him is also part of the Vorlon race as a whole. Hmm. Okay, so he's not taking any more... uh, He's not going to end up taking any more moonlight rides with uh, Lita. (laughs) Am I right? Yeah. Um, Wow, that that kind of makes that a little bit more disturbing. (laughs) Um, She's not just getting emanations from cops. You know, that, that'll get even more disturbing later. Don't worry. I've got something to share when that when that comes when at a later time. Um, but you have the so you have the confrontation with Sheridan where he says, Look, you guys you've been telling me you want me to fight legends. Well you know what? You're a legend. And I am here to, to tell you that without the Vorlon's help at this point, this whole thing's gonna fail. And if it takes you killing me to make you get off your, uh, I love Sheridan says your encounter suited butts and do something, then that is that's okay. That is the price I'm willing to pay, which I think reminds. I think the reason that that's effective is it reminds Kosh of Sebastian's visit and of the thing that Sebastian discovered: a man who's willing to die alone, friendless, unhonored in this place to make the right thing happen is the right person in the right place for the right reason. Makes it clear to Kosh, okay, it is time. I know you're scared. You know, Kosh, Kosh, you're scared and and you, like he makes an excellent point when he visits Sheridan later in a dream. He says, you know what? When you get as old as I am, you get used to living and it gets really hard to think about doing anything else. And so this is our, you know, a strong indication to us that Kosh is incredibly old. Baccalaureate. <laughs> um, so he, he tells Sheridan, okay, I'm going to do what you ask, but now I'm not going to be there when you go to Zahadum. And Sheridan says, yeah, you already said if I go to Zahadum, I'll die. Well, you will now. And I love Sheridan's reaction. I mean, you know, who of us hasn't had this conversation with somebody at some point in our lives? Okay, fine. If that's the way you're going to be, if you want to withhold your help when the time comes, if that's the cost, I'm willing to pay it. Go ahead. And later comes to find out it wasn't that Kosh wants to withhold his help. It's that Kosh knew if I take this step now, I will die. It will be the end of me. 
Uh, yeah, um, I, okay, I, I had some issues with this, okay, part of it, because I know what's going to be coming down the road. Yes. And it just seems odd. Okay, let, let's tell the rest of the story here. The Vorlons come out, they attack the Shadow. They kick the crap out of the Shadow. Yeah. They don't and even appear to break a sweat. I don't think a single Vorlon ship ever gets injured. Yeah, it does. Oh, does yeah. It? Okay. Oh, yeah. Shadow ship uh, fires the main big one on one of its little tentacle things that comes out from the front of it. It hits it, and it... Uh... No, they deflected that. No, it, it caused some damage. Okay. It, it, it did. They destroy him. Kosh doesn't actually even go out in the battle with them. No. He stays back there on the station. Battle ends... Shadow's defeated. Vorlon's won. And everybody's like, oh, sweet. Hey, we got some help here. Great. All right, I'll start signing up here. I'll start getting involved. If the Vorlon are taking an active role, then we feel comfortable coming out from behind behind our, the skirts of whatever's been protecting us to this point. Which, frankly, has been nothing yeah. that has been protecting us. So I don't know what, Nobody why... Nobody has noticed us yet, yeah. as the game say. Um, so the Shadow then come in... With Mr. Morden, uh, I think three of them show up, yep. and beat the crap out of Kosh. Yeah, they kill him. I thought Kosh was some super powerful being that could crush anything. How is it he can't take on three simple little shadow guys? <laughs> the, the Vorlons and the Shadow are equal in power. So, three to one odds against someone who you're equal in power with, you're going to lose. Hmm. Okay, I, I guess. There, I, also, I just don't... I can't talk about what's going to happen. There's so, that, it, there's, it's there's frustrating because there are some things that are going on that I think... Okay, okay, okay. There's okay. another answer here, too, that we can't talk about. Maybe we'll have to talk about it off recording. And, and yes, when it, when it comes around to Into the Fire... <laughs> it comes around to Into the Fire, we can give a different answer to that okay, question. Okay, that's, that's fine. So, Sheridan is in bed and, while this is going on, and he has the dream. The interaction with his father. And it's Kosh telling him, I I'm sorry. You were right, and I'm sorry that I was scared, and I'm sorry I'm not going to be there to help you. Yeah, I don't understand why in the world he wasn't preparing him more and giving him more stuff, helping him out. He, he's incredibly old. I mean, eventually you reach a point where time doesn't pass as... You don't, you don't see it quite... <laughs> Sorry. There's an answer to that. <laughs> Well, I, I, it's just frustrating that he wouldn't prepare him more. I'm, I agree with you. And, and he's frustrated that he didn't. You know, I, never having been a, you know, thousand-year-old being, preparing a minor race for fighting the ancient enemy, I, I can't say I would have done anything different. I don't know. I can. Okay. But then again, I just think that I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, the last thing I wanted to say here is the the line, the last thing really we hear Kosh say to Sheridan is, as long as you're here, I am here. 
Yeah, I thought I thought uh, it, it was you know also indicating I've always been here. Yeah. I'll always continue to be right. here as well. So in dream state, you know we can go on some dream adventure with Sheridan and Kosh as they go skipping around the well, universe. I'll just say it again. <laughs> and then Babylon Five lights up like a Christmas tree, as as Kosh's soul passes yeah. from this existence. Okay, um, comments. Listen to comments. All right, uh, Moneybag says, "Wow, Franklin and Garibaldi are actually pretty good in this episode." But once again, I don't care. <laughs> um, I don't care much about Franklin's stim addiction when there's a war going on. Great stuff with Sheridan and Kosh. Especially the up yours comment. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> I would like to have seen the Sheridan-Kosh relationship explored a bit more. Has Kosh done anything except take Sheridan to the weird concert in Down Below? <laughs> we're supposed to believe that a bunch of stuff is happening between episodes when we're not looking at them. Uh, I don't know if I buy Morden's plot in this episode. Why does Londo believe him? If Rifa really were behind this, wouldn't he be more likely to hold Adira hostage or threaten her somehow? Or poison Londo, not Adira, possibly with a similar two-part poison, negating Londo's advantage. Surely that would be more effective in getting Londo to do his bidding. It just seems like Londo really grabs hold of the idiot ball in this episode. TV6, Sci-Fi 6. No, we didn't really talk about that at the end. I mean, just Londo just automatically seems to believe what Morden is telling him. Well, he's blinded by anger. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I mean, I can see Rifa doing that. He wouldn't attack Londo. Londo doesn't care about himself. He'd be like, well, then let's burn together. You know, if you poison me, I'm going to finish your poison and we're going to die together. Okay. But Adira is, is you know, the light in his life and it's been extinguished. He's... Grease chicken. Mm. Okay, uh, Brainy Smurf says, How stupid is Londo? I thought he was the most conniving politician ever. He can't see what Morden was up to? I guess diamonds are forever. <laughs> I don't get that reference. Morden is paying everybody with diamonds and then killing them and taking the diamonds back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the ultimate blood diamonds, really. Yeah, true. Um... Enter citizen... Except diamonds made out of blood. Oh. Can they be? Well, we're carbon-based life forms. I... Is there carbon in blood? <laughs> I have no idea, man. <laughs> I suppose there could sure be. There is. There's it would take a lot of blood, though, and we'd have to, like, dry it out. You'd get it out of its liquid state. Just compress a couple people, you know? Compress them down tight enough to only make Okay, well then that's not blood anymore. That's but bone, hair, it's teeth. It's blood too. Well, it's not pure blood diamonds, <laughs> which is what I thought you were talking okay, about. gotcha. All right. <laughs> I blame you for this. Only here on Trick was Five, people. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're listening for. <laughs> Enter Citizen Feel Good. Just go walk about or something. Hey, Kosh, why don't you put your money where your face hole is? <laughs> yes. As the box says, up yours. 
Your divine intervention on earth has spawned a over a millennium of war without end for our planet, from the Crusades to Al-Qaeda. I think it is appropriate to note here that Al-Qaeda is not representative of most Sunnis. Additionally, the Qutbist extremists, uh, sorry if I mispronounce that, are a minority. They are, uh, there are many great Sunni endeavors being enacted as well. For example, the East London Mosque is making quantum strides in interfaith relations. The combined efforts with the neighboring synagogue are in diametric opposition to the discord that Al-Qaeda attempts to create between Jews and Muslims. I am sure that our Londoner friends could better elaborate but cheers to the Elm and the London, uh, sorry, the ELM and the London Muslim Center. Anyhow, uh, oh, now Kosh is dead, and I kind of feel bad for clapping during the "up yours" line. <laughs> As you said, Kosh, you knew what was ahead, and you were afraid. Oh, and you wish you could have done more for the box. Having some regrets about your excessive non-interference policy? Your doubts about Delenn and the box almost killed them, and your fear prevented you from acting in their favor. But you do seriously come through for the infant races in this episode, as the mini Vorlon or Armada strikes the spider ships with a Voltron-like sense of tactical oneness. Hmm. Vorlon... Voltron <laughs> Tron The Box That's quite the little chain of logic he built there. <laughs> it all makes sense. It's all on paper here, Joey. This does incite me to consider the many faces of God in a different light. Maybe God is along for the ride with us. He senses time omnisciently, but is it not possible that he peeks into the world through the goggles of linear time? What if he is exploring the universe through us, as the Mimbari and Hinduism contends? I humbly pose the question, what would you do if you were Q? If one could do anything, then surely everything would eventually become at least predictable, if not drab, or even draw. <laughs> This barely imaginable point of view would probably then welcome any prospect of a surprise. I feel that this same reason is why the book of Job, as one of the most profound stories of the Western world's sacred texts. I also think this book inspired JMS in the direction of Kosh's non-interference. Once a being is immeasurably superior to another, the inferior being is inspired to earn its own baccalaureate merits. This is not a perfect analogy because Kosh is certainly fallible and tragically flawed, and God of the big three of the Abrahamic big three religions is, for lack of a better word, potently omnipotent. Omnipotent. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> my bad. My bad. Um, or maybe infallible and perfect. After all. Religious scholars often use the three O's for this description, omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. As both Job and Zathras say in their own ways, Zathras not understand, but Zathras do. 
Zathras good at doings, not understandings. Sci-Fi 9, TV 9. Um, okay, Joey, what would you do if you were Q? Did we ever ask this question in Star Trek? I don't think so. I don't think so I either. I would really mess around with Picard. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to be like a lot of fun for him. He seemed to really enjoy that. Uh, well, there's no guarantee that Picard will eventually show up sometime in the future. Uh, would you know, you have I'm going to go with the... Uh, I would create Picard. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Watchmen answer. When Dr. Manhattan leaves mm. this world and goes off to create his own universe where he is basically God to see what happens. I think I think that's probably what I'd do. Didn't he just go to Mars? No. no. Where did he go? You, you say him phasing into stuff and he's saying, I'm going to go create my own universe. He actually... Oh, that's at the very, 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 end. very end. Yeah. yeah. And we don't ever actually see him do anything, right? No, no it's because it's the end. Um, I would be tempted, honestly, and I, I realize this is incredibly juvenile. Um, and no, I'm not just going to talk about boobs. <laughs> but there are a but lot also of butts. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I've made it clear. I'm a boob man here. I'm not a butt man. Um, I thought you were a head ridge man. <laughs> no, um, I think that I. What are you doing? Are you having a seizure over there, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> what? What are you? Are you okay? Yeah, uh, I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I just saw all of a sudden every woman on Earth getting head breaks. <laughs> 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 he just sitting back with a look of contentment on his face. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not some sort of sick voyeur. I'm really not. Um, okay, so what I would do... <laughs> I do like to... I do like to watch a lot of TV, so I suppose in a fashion I'm a voyeur. Not in the way that most people think. I'm just trying not to pass out over here. You know, you should totally cut off the a lot of TV right there. <laughs> well, I am the one who edits these. <laughs> okay, I do like to watch. Okay, you 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 had something too, but I television shows that I like to watch and I have often fantasized myself into the various plots as certain characters you okay. know uh, wh whether it be Star Trek the Next Generation as Data or whether it be G.I. Joe as Snake Eyes <laughs> or 
Highlander of the series as Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I honestly think that I would recreate all of those different nice. types of things really? and become the hero. So kind of like Encounter at Farpoint? <laughs> um, Where he put everybody down on the planet and made a... What reenactment? They did some kind of reenactment of a war with the piggy-headed guys. Oh, yeah, they were yes. wearing like Napoleon's sure. stuff or whatever. Yeah, but I would be in the main thing. Like okay. this whole world would be revolved around you. Me, yes. <laughs> I realize that sounds arrogant. <laughs> Maybe just well, a touch. No, I, I kind of have that too with a few TV shows and books. But I've always seen myself. I've always wanted to be part of the group, but like you know have it slightly different because I'm there kind of thing. Oh, so you would affect it in a different way? So instead so, of so the like way I would, the story I was would, told? I would, like, start it the way it starts and then throw myself in there as a separate character. Oh, and then see what happens? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start that again. I just imagine Aaron as I know Aaron. <laughs> involved in some story and then well, he's like be... oh this is interesting uh, I'm just going to sit down for a while <laughs> but so he, he wouldn't really affect in a critical anything. place <laughs> <laughs> like they trip over him or something <laughs> going in as a red shirt oh I've been hit I'm going to lay down <laughs> so glad I could participate in this <laughs> I think it was meant to be a serious question. <laughs> we get through our text so much. <laughs> Listen, Brian, we're, I'm really sorry about allowing that to happen here. <sighs> I am. Uh... Anyway, Aaron, did you want to answer any more than what you had said? No, I'm good. You're you're with me on that one, then, uh, Joey. You, I'm good. Would you like to amend and join no, in I'm... our <laughs> ridiculousness? I, I don't think that what I said is that far off of, from what you said. The only difference being, I don't necessarily want to inter- want to act out someone else's stuff. I have my own stories that I'd like to act out. Um, I almost just, <laughs> I almost just, well, I'm going to say it anyway. I have my own fantasies I would want to act out. <laughs> I don't involve Hedwig in anybody. <laughs> I didn't mean it in the way that it sounds when someone says, fantasies uh, but yeah you're right there are you know your own little stories your own little worlds as uh, you know my uh, in my Dungeons and Dragons you know when we play yep. that I have a character that I have reused over and over and over again since I was in high school <laughs> this specific character I would like to maybe you know continue on and let that character kind of go off and do its grandiose thing that would be fun too yeah oh <sighs> Are we even still recording anymore? <laughs> I sure hope so. It didn't like fuzz out or something. Oh, please read something serious so I'll start crying instead of laughing. I, I just had, before we get to our ratings here, one last sidelight to this episode and to the death of Kosh. As noted in prior volumes, the crew hated the Kosh full, bo- full body encounter suit. Loved the character, but hated the suit, which would never fit through doors, was always breaking down or banging into one thing or another, and ruining takes. So when we shot the very last scene, one of the crew members asked if we'd ever see that suit again later in the series. No, I said, he's well and duly gone and we won't need the flashbacks to him intact. Why do you ask? 
Oh, no reason, he said. Just asking. <laughs> 20 minutes later, I heard a car roar past my office window and looked out to see the caution countersuit being dragged by a pickup through the parking lot. <laughs> round and around, over and over and over, as the crew cheered on its destruction. Little did they or I realize we'd have to rebuild the damn thing a year later for In the Beginning. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's a justifiable expense, yeah. I think. Let the crew have their so fun. So did they build a separate helmet for when they bring it in and say, I think that's probably like, post being drunk around <laughs> the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this actually, this looks good. We'll release it. Okay, Aaron. Science fiction rating. Uh, I give this a seven. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this an eight. Uh, I, I really like a lot of the science fiction stuff that happens in here. I wasn't pleased with some of the, what I called flubs. That they went with, but I still think that this is really, really solid science fiction. I'm with you, Pete. I give it an eight. The the Vorlon fleet yeah. by itself is just killer. Good, great stuff. You know, the the Vorlon fleet. While we're on this, it reminds me of elephant tusks. Hmm. Every okay. time that I've seen that that ship kind of come out there, I mean, yes, it also does kind of look like a squid. Um, but I mean. It, when I see those massive things come out of there, I, I, I totally see what I, you're saying. Automatically think elephant tusks. I, I think again, it just harks back to the fact that organic. It's organic, and, and as a result of them trying to design something organically, whether they intentionally did that or whether our minds are just making the connection. Okay, it's an organic design. We're trying to mentally find an animal that it fits with. It just it just says to me they succeeded in making it look organic. Okay, uh, Aaron television um i'm also gonna give this a seven i mean there's i wish they'd made the franklin stuff shorter like just maybe had it in the first 10 minutes you could have had him you know freak out and then say i quit and it would have been good but you get a lot of really good reactions from like you know the the scene with sheridan and kosh and you know the the emotions that play on people's faces afterwards after his death uh you know i i agree with uh, with you the, the Garibaldi and Franklin scenes were better. They, they really were. I, I think the actors did a much better job than they normally do. Uh, I, I still didn't care because I really don't care about the Franklin character. Sure. But I think that the, you know, it's nice to be able to throw them a bone to say, yeah, I think that you guys really captured an appropriate level of an emotion mm -hmm. for what you were trying to display uh, from the script. So I, I, I think that was good. Um, there, the rest of the, the flub up story stuff, it really gets in the way too much. I was really close to giving this a seven. I'm only going to give it a six. Okay. I give this an eight. Um, Londo putting his foot back in that trap, you know, the, the, the passion that he feels in this case being such a negative emotion, blinding him to what's really going on. I think that that is something people can really connect with. I, I'm disagree with the two of you. I think people connect with the character of Franklin. I know my wife, you know, she feels the same regret and sorrow for Franklin that I do, you know, as you're watching him. <laughs> Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. <laughs> it, it's not so much the, that I, I don't like the character of Franklin or anything. It's just, I thought they could have done that faster. An excellent, successful TV show, by the way. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I may not care for it. You may not care for it. But as TV goes, it was it, successful. It, it In the 90s, time. it's good television. I disagree with you on that. Um, also, just the the collapse of Franklin and then the, the caution Sheridan scene. 
I think that stuff's really, really good. The P5 rating for this episode is 9.31. Moving on to our next episode, War Without End, Part 1. Sinclair visits Babylon 5, looking for a ride to Babylon 4. <laughs> That's okay. That's pretty good. Did, did anybody pick it off, pick up on it? The summaries today were as follows. King Arthur visits Babylon 5, looking for the Lady of the Lake. Bester visits Babylon 5, looking for help. The Shadows visit Babylon 5, looking for Kosh. And Sinclair visits Babylon 5, looking for a ride to Babylon 4. A haiku? No. It's just, I wrote them looking. all. <laughs> looking. looking. So somebody shows up at Babylon 5 looking for something. <laughs> well, that could accurately describe a lot of the Babylon 5 episodes. <laughs> um, so why you weren't using this earlier, shame on you. I was saving it for now. <laughs> okay. We open um, on Minbar. This is the most we've seen of Minbar to this point in the series. I think this is the first we've seen of Minbar. I think we might have seen flashes of it before. Like, of the sky or something like that. I could be wrong. I don't remember anything. Okay. Um, and it seems a really odd place for them to put that little central uh, building, you know, with the waterfalls uh -huh. kind of coming down around it. It just seems a really bad idea to build anything underneath a waterfall. <laughs> well, they're religious guys. They're you know they're going more for the the feel of the thing than necessarily architectural integrity. All right. Plus, that's only if you have stuff that's you know worn away by water. Like they everything, are more, they are more advanced than we are. Their stuff is built based on crystals. Yeah, but crystals. I mean, it's. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I, that's true. I, I've never actually known. Can you pressurize water enough that it will cut diamonds? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, water over time is going to erode everything. It just does. It's one of the great things about its nature. It just slowly, slowly, slowly erodes. Unless the water has mineral deposits in it that are the crystal that the thing is made out of, and you'll actually be building over time. Still, uh, yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> anyway, uh... There is a letter. Yes, a message Sinclair. from the past. From Valen. Yes, to Sinclair. By name. And apparently... Um, when Delenn. Delenn. Okay, so we're going to we, jump that far? Yeah, I was just going to... Here's was, my question. If Delenn has a letter from Valen addressed to her to be opened at a time during her lifespan when she is ambassador on Babylon 5, how could the Great Council possibly have argued with her about anything? Yeah. And my, my biggest question was, how did she get the envelope on Babylon 5? Well, well, she clearly had it with her. Yeah, so that's my question. When did she get it? It's been it, it could, the whole time. It could have been one of those things where you open it up and it says, deliver this to, to Ambassador DeLynn on Babylon 5. If it was a few weeks earlier or whatever, they would that, have had time to get it to her. That, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with your thing. I just want them to explain yeah. it. Okay. I, that's the only thing I want is an explanation as to how it gets there. Okay. Um, we get to meet this guy, Rathen, I think his name was. Who, the one who brings the letter to Ranger 1, to Jeffrey Sinclair. Uh-huh. And I love the conversation they have as Sinclair is getting ready to leave Minbar to go to Babylon 5. And he thanks him for, you know, he's like, you, you were the first one to believe in me and to help me in this. I love his response. 
He says, where Delenn points, I follow. She pointed to you. I have done nothing worthy of praise. I would love to have that kind of trust in somebody following me. I, I think that uh, as our minions should be using him as an example there for what go. they should be doing. I was trying to be more subtle, but you want to come out and say it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we have uh, this other Vorlon yep. show up. Uh, we don't know who this Vorlon is. It's just a Vorlon. Yeah. Actually, let me look in the script. As, as we have mentioned before, all of the Vorlon are collective together. So it is Vorlon yeah. shows up there. And uh, he makes the comment, he is the closed circle. I don't remember how circle. that would sound. Is it? He said circle. He is He's the closed circle. circle. Yep. circle. Yeah. Okay. Um, he is returning to the beginning. Yes. Or... Is he? Yes. Or where was the beginning? Was the beginning actually on Earth? All right, well, I'm not sure one way or the other. But it doesn't give a name for this Orlon in the script. Okay. Does it matter? He's, he acts like all of the Orlon. I'm going to give him <laughs> an answer that's going to just completely confuse you. He's talking to a Minbari, so the Minbari are completely comfortable with those types of yeah. answers because that's the ones they give too. Although, yeah. although and, we learn that apparently the Vorlons aren't the only ones who do this. Yeah, Sinclair has picked up the habit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now Zathras. Wait, no. Go uh, go back. No, I refuse. There's the, the Zathras is great. Zathras is awesome. And we see I two Zathras. I want to save Zathras for, uh, for a second here. Let me get the crap out of the way if I can. The absolutely false cannot be reconciled. There's no possible way to apologize for this error in this script. Garibaldi says to Sinclair, you know, Frank or Sinclair and I went to uh, went to Babylon Four, and I had a vision of an invasion of Babylon Five, and we were losing. We were losing bad, and you know, he goes on to describe his vision. Does anybody know what the problem with that is? Garibaldi didn't have that vision. Sinclair did. Garibaldi had the vision of the woman from his past. Mm. Sinclair had that vision. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, like, listen, listen, like, no, shut up. Because they even show it to us later. They show Sinclair remembering the vision. <sighs> I, I don't know how that got missed and, and there is nothing about it in this book and yes, yes I, am, I am thumping my book of Jaquan <laughs> <laughs> okay alright do you need a minute to <laughs> uh, let that negative me. energy flow out of you yeah I can't believe you spent so much money on that prop <laughs> <laughs> okay Zathras Zathras yes yep all right, but we have two Zathras. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, we have, we have Zathras and Zathras. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, then my next note is the shadows destroy Babylon 5. Because we get some sort of playback. Yeah. It's Ivanova saying, help, help, help. You know, we're being destroyed. They're taking us out. Garibaldi has rigged the you know the reactor to blow. 
Did she mention the shadow? I thought she's just... She says they're coming and then she shows the shadow. Oh, okay. She says cut to external camera and you see the shadow vessels attacking. And uh, that's pretty bad. It's it's not going to end well for them. And uh, come to find out that it does explode. Boom. And again, it's the same explosion we've seen before. Yep. And, you know, once again we see this little stream of light shooting off. Well, one thing, some ship manages to leave. Get out just as it's exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Who Do we know who's in That's that? That's supposed to be Sinclair. That's supposed to be Sinclair. He and leaves Babylon 5? Yeah. Jeff told him. Tell Or, Jeff. Um, Garibaldi tells him, look, go. I will stay here. You need to get on the shuttle and go. I will stay here and make sure that they can't get you. Go now. Wait, was it Sinclair or Sheridan? Sinclair. I'm going to do that a lot. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember episodes. the difference between them. Let's call them the box and the uh, puppet. <laughs> the puppet. Okay, this is the puppet that's on the on the shuttlecraft. Not Ranger One. Until Zah. Okay, so what's he doing back on Babylon Five then? Looking for a ride to Babylon Four. Didn't you hear the? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get that this is supposedly supposed to be. Is this something in the future? Yes, but only in the case where the past didn't happen. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, the, the, this is an alternate Oh, my head timeline. has... I can't, can't tell you. My head has hurt all day knowing that we were going to be doing this. I know we've made it into a joke, but man, this is really killing me here. Okay. So, I can't keep... I need, like, some sort of chart to show <laughs> as it goes through here. Like, okay... This is possible future one if, you know, possible past actually happens. Well, if you had a whiteboard here, Pete, uh, I would draw it up for you. Yeah. Okay, can you help explain it some degree to me, please? If Babylon 4 does not go back a thousand years and fight the shadows, then the shadows do not need to move slowly... Because they will have gone to a stalemate instead of being defeated. Right, and they will not have had... Uh, you know, their forces decimated down to a third of what they were. You know, Dylan says once Babylon Four showed up, we were able. We were so strong at that point, we were able to cut their forces down to a third. If that doesn't happen, then this other alternate history comes into play, where because the shadows don't need to tiptoe around the universe, they don't need to go to President Clark. Okay, they don't need President Clark's help because they don't need President Clark's help. The events that are set in motion that lead to Sinclair being kicked out of Babylon 5 and sent as the ambassador to Minbar never happened. So Sinclair is still in charge of Babylon 5 in that alternate future. Okay. When the time comes that the shadows attack Babylon 5 and blow it up. Okay, so what's the stream of light that goes shooting off there? Do we ever get to know what that is? I don't know what stream of light you're talking about. It's this little thing that just shoots out as Babylon 5 is exploding. They, they come out... They have the, the close shot with that uh, little shuttle coming Come out off, of the center. And then it explodes. Then they go to a, a, a wide shot. It's exploding. And then we see this little thing just kind of shoot off. While we wait for Aaron to pull it up. Let me read from the script book here. At the end of our first season, when Michael O'Hare and Babylon 5 went their separate ways, I told Michael we would get together down the road a ways at a moment when he was ready and the story was ready. This story was that moment. Before sitting down to write this story, the flip side to Babylon Squared, I called Michael in New York to make sure he would be available on the shoot dates. 
There wasn't even a moment's hesitation. If you need me, I'm there, he said. And a few weeks later, there he was. He came into my office, smiling broadly, and we shook hands before I took him backstage to introduce him to Bruce Boxleitner. The two of them hit it off instantly. During the, suit, the shoot, the two of them were almost inseparable, hanging out during lunch in between takes. I think it was because only Bruce and Michael could really understand and discuss what it meant to be playing the CO of Babylon 5, and that provided a common bond. On any TV series, when the nominal star of the series is asked to play second fiddle to someone else, especially someone in a competitive role who has his or her own fans out there, it can lead to conflicts of ego. Not so in this case. I'd written this script in part to gift Michael with a bravura role, and Bruce was gracious enough to step back and let Michael take the spotlight. I mention this because not a lot of actors would or even could have done the same. I thought that was kind of an interesting little note that, you know, it's cool of Bruce Boxleitner to say, yeah, all right, I got the role now. We'll let him have a, a two-episode final bow here. Aaron, did you find it? After a lengthy investigative process, I think we've determined that it's just a piece of debris that <laughs> grabbed Pete's attention because it's going at a right angle to the explosion. Looks like it's like uh, some clandestine thing that's, you know, sneaking off away and it's going to rescue itself. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Did I mention Zathras is back? Zathras is back. And we get to see a great little piece of conversation between Zathras and, and uh, Sinclair where he says, Look, if you see me again, it won't be, it'll be me, but it won't be me. <laughs> and so you need to not tell me anything that might change the past. Do you understand? And his response is classic moment of Babylon 5, which is, Yes? Well, no. <laughs> Zathras not understand. What does Zathras do? Zathras good at doing, not understanding. Yeah. Good at doings, not understanding. Oh, thank you. Um, okay. Uh, so Delenn basically pulls out some old film <laughs> reel from the last Great War to End All Wars. And uh, she shows... I don't know why it is that they don't have... Like, she indicates, oh, we're lucky to have... You know, this footage here that shows, you know, these parts of the battles. The Minbari are incredibly advanced. They can't manage to <laughs> keep themselves, Look, man, their technology. Keep, keeping data around for a thousand years is an incredibly different, difficult engineering problem. It may also have been a, um, this ship barely survived this fight. We're, we're very lucky that it was able to get back and... Bring us this footage. The more advanced mm -hmm. you are as a society, the harder it is to keep around old technology. And it's to the point now where there are a lot of important documents from 20 years ago that are in word processor files of formats that we can't read anymore. The software doesn't exist. The hardware doesn't exist. There's important data out there that we just can't get to. I just don't think you're trying hard enough. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, so... Yeah, her, her video basically reveals that the White Star... Yes. ...is the one that stole Babylon 4. It, it, went, it went back there, and it helped to prevent... An explosion. Uh, a, ...a bomb getting yeah. set on there by the, uh, the shadow. Now, were those shadow from the They're future? Not shadow. They're not shadow. They're just shadow agents. They are agents of the shadow who recognized Babylon 4 for what it was, sent a bomb there. Okay. Because I think that that's an important distinction because I think the shadow 
would have known better. Why don't the Minbari recognize it for what it's for? Because it's clear that the information about what happened a thousand years ago is kept pretty tightly locked down hmm. in the Great Council. And the Great Council does recognize that something important is going on here, or they would not keep pumping money into the Babylon project. <laughs> okay. Now, some, I, I think it was uh, the puppet uh, <laughs> who says to the, bo uh, to the box, um, that he refers to them as Luthi Lucy, Lucy and Ethel. Ethel. Butch and Sundance. Lewis and Clark. Lucy and Ethel. <laughs> Do you really think Lucy and Ethel will last in no, the future? I don't think Lucy and Ethel last now. I, I, after watching really? this episode, I went to work and I just asked around. I said, hey, if I said to you the names Lucy and Ethel, what do you think of? And I got out of the 20 people that I asked, I got maybe three people that were like, uh, there's an old TV show like that, right? People don't know what I Love Lucy is. Really? It's gone. It has left... The cultural zeitgeist. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement there, sir. <laughs> You're taking yeah. a lot on yourself to say I'm, that. I'm going out there and saying it. The people I were asking were ones that are either in college now or had just graduated from college. So it's the generation behind us. Okay. And I'm going out and asking them. They had, none of them could name, not, not a single one of them went, oh, I love Lucy. Wasn't a single one of them that could do so that. So bizarre. Because I used to watch I Love Lucy oh, all yeah. the time. It was like one of the highlights of actually being sick. Is <laughs> really? I could stay home and watch I Love she Lucy. She was so annoying. She should be removed from society. Oh, no way. I, I Love kind, Lucille Ball. I, I can kind of see Aaron's point where the character was sometimes like the, wine, the crying. The, the, the actress uh, must have been a great woman. But not my favorite moments. But even Phineas and Ferb... You know, a cartoon that I've professed my love for on multiple occasions. There's a scene in... They recently did a made-for-TV movie, mm -hmm. Phineas and Ferb Across the Second Dimension. And there's a scene in it where when the bad guy, Dr. Doofenshmirtz, goes to the alternate dimension and meets himself there, they do at least one scene that is a clear callback to I Love Lucy as they're working in a candy, candy factory. All right. <laughs> one, of the, okay. one of the penultimate I Love Lucy moments where Lucy and Ethel are in the candy factory and the conveyor belt's moving so fast and they just start shoving them in their mouths. Good yeah. stuff. I, I, yeah, I think it's unfortunate. And I, I think maybe, Pete, that, that just indicates that it's up to us to make sure that an appreciation for I Love Lucy gets back into our culture. We become the new Lucy and Ethel. So... I think that that maybe should be one of the shows we cover. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck finding them. But <laughs> oh, I bet they're out there. That's where I you lose me. Get them. <laughs> I will sit that series out. <laughs> You're the intern. You'll be here. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Uh, Zathras gets confused by Sinclair. Garibaldi yep. sent home. Wait, wait, there's something else in that scene that you skipped past. That's great. Sheridan trying to pump Zathras for information about the future. He's like, wait, so Zathras, what else is on this list of things you're not supposed to tell me? <laughs> Zathras is like, mm, I can't remember. But if I remember, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and Sincare's like, that'll be fine, won't it, Captain? <laughs> He's like, quit trying to mess with the future, man. <laughs> you know, Sheridan's just back there like, yeah. Tell me, what are you not supposed to be telling me? <laughs> okay, so the White Star goes into the rift. 
and uh, Sinclair leaves Garibaldi a message. Yep. Kind of a sad little message, which is, I'm sorry. if You can't come with me. Yeah, if, if you had been there, then you would have come with me, and that cannot happen. Yep. Absolutely can't happen. I feel I feel like it's a little bit like, you know, telling the puppy dog, no, stay here. No, I hate you. Stay here. <laughs> um, all right, so everybody is outfitted with this little... Time stabilizer. Time stabilizer. Did they put a time stabilizer on the white star? Clearly they did. They just didn't show us. They just didn't tell us either. Right. Yeah. Because it's living technology, so it clearly would need its own. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, if there was any other living things on there, it'd be interesting to notice if like a house plant got sucked away <laughs> without its time stabilizer. And if the time stabilizer was on the ship, why would they need to put it on the individual people? <laughs> Look at Membari petting a kitten. Suddenly it's a skeleton. No! Muffins! <laughs> There's a picture of Lanier with uh, some little cat. Spot. Um, I, but I have to say, I have never understood or been okay with the energy blast that comes in and destroys... Sheridan's yes, time stable. That was my very next thing. Specific. It's incredibly targeted. <laughs> Good grief. I, the, the only thing that made sense to me was, okay, maybe he got a defective one when Zathras dropped a bunch of stuff. And somehow his was a little out of tune, and then when they went through the rift, this like really scrambled it to the point that it finally blew up, and then the thing came at him and sucked him away in time. Okay, all right. That's the only thing that made sense to me. Whether that's the truth or not, I don't know. I do like they ask, you know, where is he? Is he in the future, in the past? And Zathra says, cannot say. Saying, I would know. Do not know, so cannot say. I, I like the next line he says better. When he's holding the pieces of the thing, he says, <laughs> yeah. Zathras can never have anything nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote that, that line down, too. Uh, okay. Sinclair decides, you know what? I'm sorry. He's gone. It doesn't matter. We push forward with the mission. Yep. This is more important than just this one guy. And he tells the Lynn, I know what's coming. And I'm okay with it. So we're getting the sense that some something very important is about to happen to Commander Sinclair. Or Ambassador Sinclair. Ambassador Sinclair. Um, okay. Um, is he even that anymore? Considering the martial law and everything? Well, they haven't revoked it as far as I know. Um, I, so the the White Star docks with Babylon Five. Wow, <laughs> docks is a bit of a generous term. Okay, it latches on, burns a hole through the yeah. hull. <laughs> which how they have the technology, you know, they're okay, fine, they have it. It, it is, is a breaching pod. It's, it's just okay. part, of, part of standard. It's there. Heck, just throw a Mimbari in there with a cutting torch, and I'm sure you can get through eventually. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, have you ever tried to, you know, use a cutting torch before on material that's hardened for outer saying, space? I've done it. it. It's not an instantaneous thing. Yeah. I'm I'm willing to ignore all of that. W would you want a half hour of a guy going? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm willing to ignore all of this. Okay. 
I, what I want to have explained, and this isn't a criticism, this is a, how would this actually be? You clearly have two ships with two sets of their own gravity. And the, essentially you would have two competing gravities. So you have one whose gravity is holding them down in this direction. You have the other whose gravity is holding them down in this direction. You burn a hole between the two ships and create this little rabbit hole. Yeah. How does the gravity sort of work on this? Well, and Or are you just so accustomed to it that you're just like, you're crawling and you're going to reach this point where it switches? When you're actually between the two gravity wells... So you're you're in the you're on the white. At, at one point you're climbing down, and you reach a certain point. All of a sudden you're climbing up. Like well, I think what's going to happen, <laughs> just based on the physics of it, is that okay. We know the white star has an artificial gravity generator. Yes, that's holding, what, that was my guess. It's holding them down to the floor. No, we know that he actually said it in an earlier. Okay. I noticed you have artificial gravity. Our ships still have to have rotating sections in order to have gravity. And she said, "Yeah, we've had that technology for hundreds of years, or something like that." So. You have the artificial gravity of the white star, and then as soon as you leave the exterior hull of the white star, you're going to be affected by the gravity created by the spinning of the Babylon 5 ship. And so there's just going to be this point where you kind of step over a threshold, and you step from being flat to what's going to feel like you're standing straight up on a wall, and then you adjust. Okay, well, uh, yes, you've captured encapsulated this but what if it's just a tube that only you know you can only fit down vertically in a certain manner okay. essentially you're going to be going down the tunnel from the minbari ship from the white star to a point that all of a sudden you're upside down and you're climbing up you're not going to be upside down you're going to be at a 90 degree angle how would i be at a 90 degree angle though because you're going to go from what is the floor here, and it has a hole in it, and as soon as you go over the lip of that hole, you've turned 90 degrees, and now you're in the other gravity well. Yeah, but I haven't turned 90 degrees to the Babylon 5 ship. The, the From what I understand, the outer hull of the, the Babylon station is the floor that people are walking on. At least, as far as I can piece together with everything I've seen of the inside of, of Babylon 5, everything is on the outside. And it's this long, empty oh, cylinder on the inside. So there's no point at which because I the gravity turn. Pushing out. Yeah. So you're, you're going down the tunnel, you reach the point, the magical point that gravity turns off from one and turns on from the other. And then you just flip. <laughs> well, I hope there's well, enough there's a room ladder. in there. You pray there's a ladder. Right? Otherwise, you're going to be pushing yourself up like, oh, man, my arms are killing me. You look like those Cirque du Soleil people that climb the pole upside down. Okay, I, I just, I suddenly realized yeah, no one question. ever explains this. You know, when they... It was always, as far as Star Trek is concerned, everything always just seems to work out on the same plane. <laughs> you know, we, we talked about that. But in this, it sort of seems like we're trying to obey laws that maybe we don't fully understand. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I came up with something amazing today. 
I just always imagined that the thing that the way they got out of the White Star was in the side wall somehow of the White Star, and so they just they just walk up to the 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 hole and then they and just, just whoop. Whoop. <laughs> 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 yeah, I I knew what you were trying to explain. I just I couldn't I I couldn't figure out a way to help you understand how I no, was I seeing you. it. I got you. Um okay, so we have Emperor Londo. Yeah. Is has this Sheridan guy who doesn't look like the Sheridan we saw leave the White Star. Right, so Sheridan while his body is not physically present uh-huh. in the White Star anymore. <laughs> what appears to be jumping around is only his consciousness, not his actual physical form. <laughs> they don't obey any laws of time that I understand. That's just because you don't understand the laws of time. <sighs> anyway, Sheridan's now in the future, and he's been captured by Emperor Londo. Londo's pissed that... Uh, Apparently, Sheridan did whatever it is he did to get the Centauri to this point that they're now in ruins. No, that's not what that's not what happened. That's not what Londo says. What Londo says is, you won your war, but you left the Centauri on their own. And as a result, look what happened to my planet. And I'm holding you responsible for what happened here. But I think it's clear, from Sheridan's standpoint, the Centauri cut themselves out of the loop. And well, it was not the responsibility... Of those who did sign the treaty, the non-aggression pact, the Babylon 5 treaty, it is not their job to go defend the Centauri, who are the aggressors. Yeah, I, I don't think that any one of us would dare suggest otherwise. And you, 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 you mentioned that Londo is upset, but the question is, is he really? Yes, he was. He seemed pretty irate he about seemed, the whole thing. He seemed up. Upset. I agree. I I don't know why you're trying to suggest otherwise. It's clear from this episode that he's angry, and and that's all that we have to go off of. Now you have something else to go off of. I'm not sure why anyone would dare suggest anything (laughs) else. There is nothing else in here to suggest this might be a ruse. If there is, I think that you're just ruining the plot for at least a dozen other people who listen to this podcast. Way to go. I don't have anything else. Where did you pull that number from? (laughs) A dozen people. I don't know. Seemed like, uh, you know... uh, 30% of our audience hasn't seen the episode yet? number? (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Couldn't you have gone with like the hundreds of people who are listening to this (laughs) podcast? All of our minions. (laughs) The entire population of Earth posthumously listening to our (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Okay. uh, Anything else? Money bags. This is the first time travel story I ever saw that in which people don't travel through time to try and change something, but to do something that is already part of recorded history, i.e. you can't change the past because any attempt to change the past is already part of the past, which is a weird idea because it means that the success of their attempt to bring Babylon 4 back in time is guaranteed. My head hurts again. <laughs> no, it's not guaranteed. Well, only if they go. Yeah, it's only if they go that if they go, everything works out or everything's fine. <laughs> There's clearly a possible alternate future that we've already seen where they didn't succeed. Well, where they just didn't go back. 
where they didn't succeed to some extent. We don't know why they didn't succeed. Wow, they didn't we just know back. they didn't. You said they didn't go back when you were explaining the time thing to me. They didn't go back meaning what, though? Did, did, the White it Star. It's not necessarily that the White Star didn't go back. Maybe the White Star went back, but the Babylon 4 station did not go back. It mm. got blown up by the bomb. You say. didn't specify that, and you were I just did, covering your I tracks. I didn't specify now. anything. You in, you inferred something that I did not imply. No, you implied something that I did not infer. You Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. You win. <laughs> okay, he finishes. Uh, a great episode. We see the future of Centauri Prime, which is detailed in a trilogy of novels based on JMS Notes. And more Zathras. Uh, TV7, Sci-Fi 8. Uh, is he writing that? There's a, a trilogy of novels yes. about that? There's actually a whole bunch of novels for about Babylon 5. Huh. There's one series that I've always meant to get around to reading, which looks really inter- interesting, which is um, about the Technomages. Oh, wow, okay. The guys so that run away. Yeah. Well, yeah, the guys that run away. Okay, uh, Brainy Smurf. Well, since I can only half comment on this episode, <laughs> I will just pose the question. What the hell does Entel Za mean anyway? Ranger 1. I guessed as much, actually. Za just kind of felt like 1. Same amount of letters. Yeah. Oh, wait, you're confused on something now. You well, I'm just trying to think about how much I should tell, but we'll leave you, it at you that. You shouldn't tell anything. There, there's actually a second meaning to it that we'll find out later. Is it the Mimbari version of Pinocchio? <laughs> oh, I get it now. Much like Pinocchio, our little wooden boy must baccalaureate himself uh, beyond his strings to ascend to his apothesis. Apotheosis. Uh, apotheosis. Does that make uh, Kosh the Blue Fairy? And then, of course, Zathras as Jiminy Cricket? <laughs> when Zathras gives much wishings upon a stars, <laughs> makes not good. <laughs> and now we take you to the Babby 5 water cooler discussion. Zathras. We pull this one through time for the one. Shakar. We are all one. Zach Allen. Eh. Well, I'm sure if uh, if I if I get it, you know, I, I mean, uh, this time traveling is a little weird. You know what I mean? Uh... <laughs> Jakar, I was there. I had the dagger in my hand. <laughs> Kosh, that was your Picard, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> doing the best I can here. I'm getting asked a lot, and I'm not a classically trained voiced uh, vocalist. Jakar, incorrect. That is a different episode. Who's that, Voldemort? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't have the beepings to go along with me here. Zog. Zog! <laughs> Kosh. Um, like, who invited that guy? <laughs> yeah, Zathras. we should read it at the same time so you get the double voice effect. <laughs> Zathras. Zathras invitations, super cranky superior aliens. Zathras deliverings, much diplomaticnesses. Everyone always coming to Zathras's with problems. But uh, big responsibilities, but Zathras doesn't mind. Zathras trained in crisis management. <laughs> Jakar. 
We must be kind to one another. Zack. Everyone keeps telling me that, but... <laughs> Kosh. The avalanche has already started. It's too late for... Zog! <laughs> Kosh. Okay, seriously, guys. <laughs> he keeps interrupting me. <laughs> My voice is so strange, I can't even do this anymore. I don't even know who that is anymore. <laughs> it's not Kosh. I don't think Kosh is meant to have more than, what, three or four syllables per <laughs> statement? This is way too much. Uh, he finishes. Until next time, Sci-Fi, uh, sorry, TV9, Sci-Fi Gazillions. Uh, later, dudes. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, for science fiction, I think this is great. There is a lot of really cool stuff in here. Um, a couple of things eh, didn't work. I Nine. Really, really, really solid nine. I'm going to give it a ten. You have multiple time travel stories going on you have jumps in the past jumps in the future you have the you know the revelation that th these letters were left by valen from the past that forward to them in the future there's just there's so many moving parts to the time travel here that i'm giving it a 10 i i i agree with so much of what you say but i have trouble with it because we just ignore the whole delen stuff getting the envelope all it takes is this one 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 scene with a mimbari saying this was is to be delivered to you today, you know. Done. It explains it perfectly. Okay. We have the draw planet you know, stuff. It's just we sort of like, just say, oh yeah, it's the planet that's causing this. Okay. Let, let me actually uh, to answer that. Let me go back to the script book here. Well, which part are you planning to answer? Is it the the planet stuff or the the uh, the envelope? Stuff? The envelope. They're they're. He's not going to directly address it, but maybe what he says here will satisfy you a little bit. One of the things that I regret about this episode is all the content we had to throw out, which still appears in the script. There was funny stuff and important stuff that would have established a tone of humor. I'm trying to avoid reading stuff that gives things away. Sorry, I'm having to edit on the fly here. Um, and, and stuff that was often lacking when important things happened. <laughs> but the episode was running way long. And something had to go. Coming in at the top as we find the story written now plays to the more mystical elements of the episode, which is important for later, but it would have been great to start off with some of these other bits. So there's a significant amount of content that was cut, and maybe the letter delivery was cut. I didn't read the script to find out. but hmm. Anyway, it's just little things like that that for me kind of get in the way of what truly would be a, a phenomenal, you know, sci-fi kind of thing. You know, I, I, I don't think you're wrong, but I would give that a ding on the television side, not on the science fiction side. Hmm. Because from the science fiction side, I don't necessarily need to know how that letter got to Delin. The fact that the letter was there is enough for the science fiction aspect. You, you know, I, I, I hate to do this because I want to be careful. I'm not trying to compare this to Star Trek, The Next Generation. I, I, this is its own show, it, but the for me... This isn't a um, um, uh, an episode like well, uh, sure, all good things is is su superior in in its science fictionness, 
um, or the um, the Dathan episode. Why can't I remember the name of that? Darmok. Darmok. Thank you. Um, or Inner Light. You know, I, I you know for me those are home runs. Those are knock out of the park kind of stuff. When I look at this episode, it kind of reminds me of Data going back in time to the old West hmm. and meeting Guinan for the first time. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm I'm not saying that. Saying. I'm just saying that's how I equate okay. this. In maybe it's I you know get so confused with time travel that it just <laughs> for, for, for my me. part I'm comfortable putting this up against Inner Light or Darmok or All Good Things any day of the week as as best science fiction you know as a list for possible best science fiction mm-hmm. shows. Okay, Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to give it a ten. This is this is wonderful science fiction. This is you know they're talking about the last great war and how we're doing this to help our war. But if you look at it from the Shadow and the Vorlons perspective, this is one war. You know, this this is just, you know, one battle helping another battle. But it, but you know, then you zoom out, you zoom into, you know, our limited perspective and this is a a huge thing and just the 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 great machine and having the um stabilizers that yeah, so much good science fiction in there. Okay? For television, um there is a lot that people are going to get lost on, and so I can uh, the best I can do with this is a six. Mm. And it's not to say that this is bad in any regard, but this is so incredibly confusing to try and keep up with that I cannot help but think you are going to lose somebody who doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, you're probably right. I When I watch this with my wife and she keeps saying, wait, talk me through what happened there. Yeah, I, it's the same with me. I had to get you to explain yeah. these things because even though I've already seen this before, well, I gave it a seven, but that may that may be unfair based on what you just said there. I I see your point, but I just there there's nothing bad with the production. No, I agree, I agree. There's nothing bad with acting, so to speak. It's the story itself that is going to get in the way of people being able to understand. Ma- how may, it goes. And maybe it's the pro- the problem is that I just give people too much credit for being able to understand time travel. <laughs> You give humanity too much credit. For That's being what able I heard. To understand time travel. <laughs> because I don't see how this is all that confusing. It, to me, it's very easy to hold in your mind compared to, you know, I can't remember the, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, the one where they're in the loop and they keep getting the broadcast yeah. from themselves. That one is way more moving parts as far as trying to figure out, wait, how did they get out of it ever? <laughs> yeah, but you are, you're coming from a guy who's seen this so many different times. You know this story backwards and forwards. You've got, you've got lines memorized yeah. uh, from this series. It's, but I, it's ingrained in you. I'm saying, I'm just in general, the ability to appreciate and to understand and follow a time travel story, I just, I have trouble seeing it as, that unusual that people can follow a, a tough time travel story. Anybody who's seen Back to the Future parts one, two, and three, I think, can get this episode, and so I'm going to give it a seven. Hmm, interesting take there. I gave it an eight. I love this episode. This is this is what you know. There's a lot of action. There's there's Zathras. I mean, come on, there's Zathras. <laughs> That's not helping. <laughs> Zathras always helps. I didn't say Zathras didn't help. I'm just saying Zathras doesn't Z- help. Zathras have very sad life. Probably have very sad death. But at least there's symmetry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I love Zathras. He's super in my book. 
but people watching this are going to look at Zapp and say, what is that oh, weird man wrong. doing? I think you're wrong. What is I've, that weird man doing? I've Why never is had furs anyone all over get it? far enough to get to Zathras that didn't go, man, I love that character. Yeah. Well, then you're dealing with a completely different set of circumstances then. Not sure what you mean. Well, I, I, I think on many occasions we've taken our, our television rating and saying, okay, if we're going to show this to someone who's never really watched something before... Could they still enjoy it? I think they're going to look at Zathras and say, "What in the world is Zathras?" I, I, I'm, I'm saying my wife, who is as anti-science fiction as it gets, loves the character of Zathras and has seen the entire series sitting next to the man who loves it so much <laughs> that he makes love to the books on a regular basis. <laughs> Never made love to them. <laughs> well, not that I'm aware of. I just assumed you had. <laughs> Uh, your P5 rate or the P5 rating? The P5 rating for this episode is a 9.28. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Home Starmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801 788 4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening. Morning sun, it's good to see you again. So good to see you again.